Hello, hello, my friends. Season two, episode three of Here For Now. I'm Nate Duroe. They called us back for a second season. I'm so, so thankful. Uh, Here For Now is uh, a podcast that we started, oh, I don't know, about 18 months ago. And basically, I like to label it as origin stories of my creative superhero friends. Uh, We're here at Eureka Records in Wyandotte, Michigan, a place that I'm not sure I've ever been to Wyandotte before I started coming down here. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they've got a Taco Bell and a Wendy's and everything's fine down here in 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 good old Wyandotte, Michigan. I'm I'm so excited to uh dive into episode three. We're gonna chat with uh Brian Hugo Iglesias in just a moment. Um we have Tyler. Tyler's on the other side of the glass. Hi, Tyler. Hello. Uh Tyler, our goal, other than to have a great podcast, that you know, there's no rules in podcasts, so we can do whatever the hell we want. But do you think we'll get under two hours today? No. Okay. All right, <laughs> fair enough. Chris Herman came on uh, to start the season off and gave me 6,300 little line items that we went over for his career to this date. And uh, that took some time. And then uh, last week, we had Jason Singer from Michigander on, and I haven't seen Jason uh, after seeing him probably, you know, monthly at least for the last five years. We hadn't seen each other in a very long time. And Sure enough, the clock got away from us, and two hours later, we were here. So, Brian, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're, we're gonna do our best um, here for now. Uh, you can check it out. I mean, you found us, so thanks for finding us. I appreciate that. Um, we're at herefornowpodcast.com. You can kind of go back and listen to all the old episodes that you may have missed if you're Brian's homie and you're just checking this out because you want to know, you want to hear Brian's sultry voice. Uh, thanks for for coming on. He'll, he'll talk more than I will in a few minutes here. Uh, we're also on socials at here for now pod. You can email us at here for now pod at gmail.com. I got to take a minute, um, and do, do my, uh, do my duty here. Uh, we have a sponsor and that's really cool because I like lining up with, uh, like-minded individuals. And I put, uh, a little note out into the world to say, hey, I'm looking for somebody to help support this podcast. I think these stories are super important. I think these folks that I'm talking to are vital uh, cogs in the in the Michigan and Midwest music communities. And with COVID doing what COVID did, uh, the financial burden fell back on me. And I was willing to do it, but I was hoping somebody would come in and uh, trade some uh, some love for some some dollars and out of nowhere i got an email from gabriel at two foot parade two foot parade is a really cool midwest based um independent record label and they put out cassettes and cds and digital albums and they're just helping uh really talented cool diy artists such as nest lake uh closet goth worry club put out music into the world so Super special thank you to Two Foot Parade for sponsoring the podcast this season. And uh, you're going to hear a lot more about them in the coming months. Brian Hugo Iglesias, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Dude, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to to hang out. Um, I asked you to describe yourself, which I, I would have a hard time doing, honestly, other than like best dancer favorite Michigan music cheerleader slash surprisingly 
diversely creative human being. And you said multifaceted creative musician and marketing associate at Assemble Sound. And the nice thing about having you on is is your name is your project name. You are Brian Hugo Iglesias, and that's who's out there uh, recording music. So yeah. like, like I said, dude, super, super good to see you. It's been way too long. Yeah, dude. It's, uh, I, gosh, I... So we we were talking earlier about COVID and and all that stuff. And, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of time really, you know, crying over the thing that everybody's crying over. But you played the last show that I put on uh, just about a year ago next week at the Blind Pig in Ann Arbor with Diplomacy. Yeah. Does it feel like a year ago or does it feel like... Man. What does it feel like? It feels like way longer than a year but it also feels weird that it hasn't been a year yet um it was that show was crazy because i think it was sold out and that was the day that like everybody in michigan simultaneously started freaking out about covid right i don't think it was quite sold out but it was definitely um criminally not even criminally because obviously you you don't uh, hold it against anyone to stay home and figure out what a pandemic is about. And obviously the pandemic reared up and proved that yeah. we probably should have stayed home, all of us that day. Um, but yeah, it was definitely like a ghost town for a show that sold so well. Yeah. Um, obviously we'll rewind and we're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff with Brian here, but like, what was that feeling like performing on that stage? Did you have any like kind of bigger picture thoughts like this is the last show i'm gonna play for a while or or was it just like you were about the business of of playing that night and and then all of like the the big picture stuff kind of came a few days later yeah i don't think that anybody or at least i don't think that i had any idea what was coming at the time i think that this was like I was just starting to take COVID seriously as something that could like really affect us, but I had no idea how much it would. Um, I was really excited to play that show. It was uh, one of the first times that I'd tried playing a show that was just solo, so like just me and tracks. Yeah, uh, which was an interesting experiment, and I actually ended up deciding that. I would just try to go as hard as possible on stage the entire time. And it, uh, how'd that work out for you? It was good. I honestly missed a lot of notes, but people were into it. I think it was entertaining. And that it was funny how, like, I thought that I honestly performed terribly, but like, I entertained really well. And there are people from that show that, like, still listen to my music and, like, message me about how much they like my project. That's good. So that was an interesting lesson. Um, so the note, the 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 uh, the takeaway from that is: don't worry about hitting your notes; just have fun. Right? Have fun. <laughs> people want to see people have fun, and it's easier to have fun when the person that's telling you to have fun looks like they're having fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's been your thing, dude. I think you've kind of become this. Uh, I, I I mentioned the word cheerleader, and that may sell short like all of the other things that you're doing, but like you're one of the most supportive people in this in this community and i think um i'm going to answer the question that i usually ask at the beginning of this podcast of um if you had one word to describe yourself what would it be and why and then i ask after that would others use that word the other the others would use the word supportive i think for yeah. for you like that's personally me i've seen you single-handedly 
pick up audiences before that were like yeah not feeling it and then you look over and you see the dude with the chest hair sticking out of the crazy ass shirt (laughs) and like just jamming and you've picked up the the whole audience so what is the one word you would use to describe yourself inside of that dancing human being um i would say creative okay and my philosophy on creativity is not that it measures your ability to make something. It's your ability to think about things differently. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, I sometimes, you know, if one of my friends is killing it and the crowd doesn't care, what can I do to, like, as an audience member to, like, get hyped and get creative about how I'm watching this band play so that now everyone's hyped? Yeah, is it is it um, is it intentional? Is it something that you... I mean, I got to think you obviously like to dance, so I don't think you go in there and like, yo, I got to pick this crowd up. But <laughs> have you ever had that moment where you're like, I got to go pick this crowd up and I'm going to go do my do my part, you know? Yeah. Or is it just kind of natural? I think it's mostly natural, but I have had moments where, you know, I'm aware, uh, especially when I was touring with Jax. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it all comes from an authentic place. I mean, if, sure. I, if I don't feel like dancing... I have no problem with sitting at the back and okay. just standing there. <laughs> yeah, if you're not feeling it, you're not forcing it, right? Yeah. yeah, people don't hire you to like go on the dance floor and get it going, right? Right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, that could be a role, though. Yeah. Think about that. Like, you know, you get you you put seven people in the van and you go out on tour and you've got like the four people in the band, you got the merch person, you got the tour manager, and then you got the freaking dancing hype person. People. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that'd be rad. When I was in high school, they showed me this video at an assembly, and I don't really remember what the context was, but it has to do with the psychology behind people acting and, like, taking action. And it's a lot easier to join in on something if you already see somebody else uh, doing it. And yeah. so, like, if you're if, if the crowd is like filled with people who all feel like they're too cool to be there, and like they're just like looking at the, all the other people that are you know too cool to be there, and then this one dude comes in and is like, "I'm actually going to dance super hard and not care." Yeah. Then it's like people are way more likely to join in when they see somebody else doing it. Yeah, dude. There's a whole psychology to like uh, crowd participation, and I've always been uh, strangely, and I, I figured it out kind of after having done it for five or six or seven years. For my shows, I've always been super hyper-attentive to the lighting in the room and not what's on stage, but what's going on in the crowd. Hmm. And if the lights are too bright, if they're not, if it doesn't feel like you can dance and everybody's kind of looking at you, Mm -hmm. like the room changes. So I've always been the one, and and it's funny because I've had venues that like kind of look at me as I'm like going over to their slider and adjusting the room lighting. And they're like, what are you doing? We keep it at 20%. And I'm like, no, nobody's moving. Watch. And then I just slide it down. And then five minutes later, we're like, oh yeah, that was the right move. Like just setting the mood in the room is so super important. And it's something that like is under thought of when you're controlling your atmosphere when you go out on the road or whatever and you're a touring artist playing in small rooms. It's like, if you think about little things like that, and for somebody who, you know, has toured so much in like a supporting role going out and literally being Jax's hype man, but also controlling lighting and, and yeah. you know, playing music, kind of a a video lighting or a, a lighting DJ, if you will, sort of. Um, yeah. Little stuff like that of just like, 
yo, could you, light dude, can you do this? You totally. know, and just having that quick conversation. And artists, there's a lot of them that have done it over the years, and and like it changes the aesthetic around that audience. And if you can change the way the show feels from the opening acts, or if you're an opening act and you can change it from what the other opening act or even the headliner looks like, mm-hmm. it just just with that simple like thoughtfulness, yeah, it, it can make such a huge difference. It goes a long way. I mean, even down to like uh, people picking, you know, music to play in the house oh, yeah. and being intentional yeah. with that. That's yep. huge. And yeah. If you, if you like set the mood, you know, like, yeah, this is a mood of people who don't give a fuck what they look like. Yeah. Who don't, who, who want to shake it a little bit. And like, yeah, you can totally set the mood with that 15 minutes yeah. and also with just the volume of it. Absolutely. Like you could have it real quiet and have everybody have discussions and, oh, I can hear this person over here, so I should lower my voice. Or you can just freaking crank, crank it so it. everybody's just feeling it. By the time you hit the stage, the room just... Yeah. Let's rewind many, many years before the chest hair and the, <laughs> uh, and the, the leather pants and the various uh, beautiful things that you uh, bring to the table. Let's talk about um, you as a kid, kind of your upbringing, um, family life a little bit. Tell me a little bit about the first, the early Brian. Yeah. What, 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 uh, what led you to like find music and, and, you know, start from the beginning, man. Tell me about your, yeah, your family totally. and where you came from and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I was born in Mexico City. My mom is from the U.S. My dad's very Mexican. So I grew up learning Spanish and English. Um, Dude, what does very Mexican mean? He's just a Mexican dude from Mexico that lived there his entire life. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My parents are really, really creative. Uh, They're very creative people. They're artists. My mom has a custom framing business, uh, and my dad is like very, very artistic, but works as an engineer. I think that he wanted to design cars. He wanted to get into car design. Okay. Um, But anyways, they're not musical people, but they're very artistic. So they would always have like, you know, different like art supplies around the house all the time. My parents told me that when I was a little kid, they would just give me like a stack of printer paper and a marker and I would just like draw it on a piece of paper and then throw it and then draw on another one and yeah. throw it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we moved to the US uh, when I was four. And to here in Michigan? Yep. Uh, oh. Because my dad was working for Chrysler at the time. Okay. And uh, we bounced around several different places in Metro Detroit. My parents bought like a trailer and like fixed it up and flipped it and that's how they were able to like get the down payment for the house that we live in now okay um brothers or sisters i'm an only child okay um i didn't like music for like the first i actually viscerally remember the moment that i started caring about music uh all right just ask my questions for me brian yeah (laughs) tell me about your early (laughs) memories of music brian yeah i uh (laughs) I was at a Tigers game, and We Will Rock You came on, and I was like, this is so sick. Nice. And my dad was like, oh, you like Queen? And I was like, yeah. And he bought me Queen Greatest Hits on CD, and that CD Dude. changed my life. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> That's rad as hell. That's. It's always interesting to like, you know, take um, 
age groups and like and like almost predict yeah where that first m- music memory came from yeah. you know um jason last week was i don't want to say sort of predictably but definitely like big into the whole garage rock white stripes thing and then obviously into the cold plays and all that and yeah it, like that all came pretty early right yeah so you can see it in his songwriting absolutely but dude that that like that checks out, man. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, all the way down to the chest here. I'm, yeah. I'm going to leave that alone eventually here. I mean, that might be a little... But you put it out there, so it's got to yeah. be talked about. Hey, absolutely. So Queen's Greatest Hits is kind of like what gets the ball rolling for you. Yep. And I think that that was like in the fourth grade. And I just fell in love with it. And then I pretty instantly realized that I wanted to make music. And I feel like as a kid, I always had phases. Like, I got really into dinosaurs, and then I got really into Spider-Man, Lord of the Rings, and then one day I got really into music, and I just never really left that phase. Okay. Um, How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I just turned 25. Okay, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that makes sense. And so... So all of those phases kind of fit within, like, the normal, what a 12, 13-year-old kid was, yeah. you know, kind of working their way through. Yeah. At what point did you... Um, pick up your first instrument and what was it yeah so in the fifth grade at the school that i went to you had to pick band or choir yeah and i was like totally gonna pick band because choir sounds lame uh and i picked up a trumpet and trumpet is like so hard to play (laughs) it is so hard you have to buzz your lips i'm really bad at it and i hated it and i almost you get a choice the year after, I think, where you don't have to be in a musical ensemble, but I chose to be in choir, and I ended up being in choir, performing in choirs up until I graduated from college. Uh, I was in the top choir at Wayne State for all four years. But the first instrument that I really fell in love with was the guitar, and my parents bought me like a Target Stratocaster uh, for my 12th birthday. And they were like, this is going to be cheaper than video games. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, I really, like, can't emphasize enough how much of an influence, like, Guitar Hero and, like, Rock Band were yeah. for, like, music discovery for me and for al- also for, like, wanting to be a musician. And, like, I found a lot of my favorite classic rock bands through just playing yeah rock band and guitar hero um but i remember once it was probably a few months after i'd gotten my guitar i was stuck on a level on rock band and i kept losing and i I was getting frustrated and i look over at my guitar and it's kind of collecting dust and i was like what am i doing i was like i bet that if i put (laughs) as much time into learning how to play a real guitar as i do playing this video game that i'll probably get pretty good and I think I, I, like, stopped playing video games after that. That's a big thought to have at that at such a young age to, like, yeah, to be able to, like, level up like that. Yeah. To use a video game term, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because I, I, would, I would think that that, like, if you were to describe the Guitar Hero rock band phenomenon, it's kind of that, right? Like, it yeah. had its moment where it was, like, super important and then just kind of faded into oblivion. Yeah. But it was a big big fucking deal to be on guitar hero yeah in that time you know there are so many 
I, I, I mean, Dragon Force being the probably the most, yeah. the one that gained the most from being on that game, because that was like original Guitar Hero, mm-hmm. like master level or whatever the highest possible level. And, you know, it, it kind of, to me, sort of um, blended worlds a little bit. Because yeah. you take a band like that, that is going to have such a, like a, a hardcore fan base and like bring it to the masses, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. To like where now all anybody wants to do is be able to beat whatever that song was called. Through the Fire and Flames. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, how does a band like that, they're not going to get a, a Verizon commercial or an Apple commercial or anything like that. There's nothing that's going to like break them through on that level. Right. But yeah, dude. Yeah. That, that rules. So, so did you... Did you, you just kind of looked, looked away from the video games, concentrated on the guitar. At what point did you think that like, did you, did you become kind of a, like plays guitar every second of your life kind of person? Yeah. I think that, uh, the real thing that made a difference was, uh, I started taking guitar lessons at this music store by my house called Annie's Music and, I had this amazing guitar teacher named Michael Carpenter Jr. And he was just so down to teach me anything I wanted to learn. At the time, I liked classic rock, so he was hyped about that because yeah. I wasn't asking him to learn, like, Katy Perry songs or something. Sure, right. So yep. he was hyped. And he just really, you know, pushed me. And I was really dedicated to, to practicing at the beginning. And, you know, you feel yourself getting better. It's amazing. It's also, like, really hard to learn instruments. And <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, like dude, it's really hard. <laughs> my my brother and my dad both played guitar, play guitar, I should say. And I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Like if it was a one-handed instrument, if I could look at the frets and just play those, I could probably do it. But the other hand doesn't work when I'm at looking the same at this time, one. Yeah. There's like a, there's like a literal wall in between my eyes where like the two arms just don't connect. Yeah. So I could either play the strings down below with a pick, or I could do it up, up here, but I couldn't do both at the same time. And no matter what I did, lessons, you know, it was super frustrating and I just never got there. I think it takes a very special type of, you know, person to be able to do that. Now, obviously, you can fight through those things, and yeah. I probably could have. Yeah. Uh, it just wasn't, I didn't have that like desire. Totally. The burning desire to like see it through. Yeah. So, what was the first like, r- do you remember the first riff that you played? Like, what was the first one that you went, oh, shit, I just, I got that one. Like, it was probably Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. Oh, dang. With the slide and everything? Yeah. Or, or... I mean, Smoke on the Water was like, okay. that's like the first riff that I can everyone that. learns. <laughs> yeah, right. Because yeah. that's one that, like, there's almost nothing happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like one string. Right. But, yeah, I mean... I learned I I learned how to play guitar from like the blues and like classic rock bands um like Jimi Hendrix, Clapton, um nice. And then I saw a Stevie Ray Vaughan uh documentary last night. Oh, he's so good. That's my dad's favorite. Uh, yeah, he was another real influence and yeah. on it, so I ended up getting really into I like started like a blues band. Um my first band ever was called Zarapath and that band had like two or three different versions within the same name. Yeah. And the first version was was a blues band and I would pretty much I don't know how I figured this out but the Detroit Blues Society, I don't know if they still do this or not, but they were doing like monthly jams at like different bars. Yeah. Um where 
you could just bring your guitar and they would hand it amps there and you could just shred with like you just know with, just with dudes. like a rhythm section yeah. that was just holding the beat for you and you just go yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I was like i think i was like 13 14 at the time and i loved it and they really took me in they actually named me the youth bluesman of the year uh <laughs> nice. in 2014 and i think i was the last person that got that award okay um I also met. I had I had a chance to meet uh, to meet BB King uh, once, which oh, was dang. incredible. Uh, yeah. When he played at the Fox Theater, mm-hmm. and uh, it was actually my birthday, and I ran into one of the guys from the Blues Society, and he was like, "Oh, it's your birthday! Like, I have a backstage pass. You want to meet BB King?" And I was like, <laughs> <Duh>. "Yeah," <laughs> and I was very starstruck. But I actually had a chance to have a one-on-one conversation with him, which is insane. And I went up to him as like a 13 or 14-year-old and was like, Hey, BB King, I only like the blues. I don't like any of this new, like, pop music. Like, I only like, like, this is the good stuff. And BB King, like, turned to me and was like, It doesn't matter what genre you're playing. There's no note between B and C. Oh, damn. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And that's really uh, stuck with me for a long time. You know, it's like we all, we we have the same notes to pick from. We have the same tools. And uh, I think that that really stuck with me. Dude, BB King bringing the knowledge early on. Yeah. That's incredible. At the time, I was like, okay. But after, over time, I'm like, wow, that's deep. Yeah. That's so rad. Very cool. So you're 13, 14, you've got this band. You've now got this new knowledge imparted on you by BB King. Yeah. Uh, what does that change? Like, what? I guess you're in high school at this point. So, kind of walk me through like yeah. what's going on musically in high school and where it's all headed, and you know, kind of the direction change that you might have. Yeah. I mean, I would have stopped everything that I was doing at that point and and just started turning. I would turn left when I was looking right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, in my experience as like a kid growing up, the hardest thing about wanting to be a musician is like just finding places to play and yeah. like yeah. you know when you're 14 you can't get into bars like you can't like it seems like it's easier now but that might you know pre-covid but that might just be because I have more knowledge on it too yeah. uh, I didn't really know where to look but I just got to a point where I was kind of sick of playing music with like all old people mm-hmm. and to like exclusively to old people yeah and it was like, yo, I'm like in high school, like I want to be playing shows to the people that I go to school with. I want to make music that like people my age can connect to. At that time, I hadn't gotten into any new music at all. Yeah. I resisted it. Uh, I didn't get hip hop. I didn't get pop or anything. And when I was a freshman in high school, I got introduced to, this is so wild that this was formative for me, but it was Woe Is Me covered TikTok by Kesha on Punk Goes Pop, and it blew my mind. <laughs> wow. And I was like, oh my God, harsh vocals and like breakdowns are sweet. And, but at the time I was like in a blues band. Uh, yeah. And the, this explains so much. Dude. Yeah. So then I was like, I want to start making music that hits harder like that. And then I got more into like pop punk. Right. Uh, and I went to Warp Tour for the first time. That was probably one of the first shows that I went to without my parents, like without yeah. my dad. Yeah. Uh, that was just... So what year are we talking here? I like, think that was 2011. So 10 years okay. ago. Okay. That 
just kind of opened my eyes to like, oh my God, there's so much more out there like yeah. in the music industry. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I, I mean, I, we, I was never like in a hardcore band, but we would have breakdowns and stuff like that, whatever, uh, you know, that kind of thing was. And that was just a, I don't know. It was a, it was interesting to like, you know, go from playing shows at like Memphis Smoke and Royal Oak to yep. all old people. Yep. And then start playing shows at like, High Octane Lounge in right. uh, Romeo. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is Zerapath, and and I'm trying to remember. You know, at what point did you kind of enter into this community that you know you've obviously been in now for a while? Yeah. Um, when did Zerapath start playing shows that were? I don't know, I guess legitimate in venues yeah. and things like that. And what did it look like at that point? Because honestly, dude, I, I know your current music and I know like where it is. I And I remember you were really confident and really good at email. Yeah. <laughs> you were just present, right? Like yeah. that was the main thing. And, and you know, Jason, one of his big things last, last week was like his controversial, or was it Chris? Tyler, was it Chris or Jason that said that, that you just have to show up? That's That was Chris, right? Yes. Like a big part of like, it was a. I asked what uh, controversial opinion that Chris Herman held, and Chris believed that you just have to like be present, yeah, just to show up, absolutely. And and that was you at first, yeah. I honestly, um, I can remember, and, and you scared me a little bit because you put in like the, the little pre-show email that I sent out, like you want to talk about how we met, and it's like I hope it wasn't some big uh, thing because I don't remember. No. I just remember early on you being somebody who was who was like passionate on top of it, confident enough to say what you wanted. Yeah, um, you'd follow up, maybe yeah. maybe even you know a little too much sometimes, which is okay. And you played so many different types of shows. You would ask yeah. to open stuff, and it was like over here and over here. And I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, you know, I have two songs or whatever to go off of. Which again, I you know, I'll admit that there's a lot of times where I don't even know what the band sounds like, other than like the thirty seconds I'll might listen to of somebody like that. But just based on what you're asking for and who you're kind of running with is where I place you. So like, yeah. if you're consistently like, hey, I want to open this blues show, yeah. which I don't do a lot of blues, but you might end up over there and then you're doing blast beats in front of like, <laughs> you know. Um, so like, at this point, I guess, at some point in this little time frame here, 2011, 12, 13, you're starting to try to play out and yeah. like get gigs. Yeah, I think, uh, I know, I'm pretty sure that the first show I did with you was opening for Nick Santino at the Pike Room. Uh, okay. That's the guy that he was used to be in a Rocket to the Moon. Okay. And yeah. uh, that was a great show. I think that we sold a decent amount of tickets to that. And then you put us on the Mike Mains and the Branches EP release uh, that ended up getting moved to the ballroom. Oh, right. Yeah. And that was Shapes and Rivals? Yep. And maybe uh, Signature Mistakes. Maybe, okay. maybe. Yeah. But we're all like three degrees away from Tyler Common, right? Like every, yeah. every story. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, at that point, I'd already been playing a ton of shows. I played at uh, High Octane Lounge probably like 50 times. Okay. Um, that's how I got tight with like Noah DeLeon when he was in a Gone by Sunset. Yeah. Are you from up that way? Like, are you east side, northeast side? I mean, that's I'm, way uh, the hell out there, but I'm like Rochester Hills. 
Okay. Yeah. So, oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah. So, like, Pontiac made sense for you, but Romeo wasn't that far away either. Exactly. I mean, Romeo's far from everything, but... Yeah. And honestly, I can't believe that we went to... That we picked Romeo and kept going back, but I think it was just, like, it was an all-ages venue that yeah. would just was down, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so, there was a pretty awesome community. I think that that was, like, having that place uh, really did a lot for me in... Uh, you know, I did I I did like EP release shows there. I did a lot. It's crazy to think about now because it's like it was literally just a room with a small stage and like a sound system. And it's like if I went there now, I'd be like no bar. Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was great. And uh, then I. So this is like 2014, I guess. Yep. So you're graduated high school at this point. Yeah, I actually the night of the show at the ballroom with Mike Mains was my 18th birthday, which is pretty oh, special. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then after that, um, I think that that summer, I, I was really interested in like launching a solo project, uh, like an acoustic project. I like the idea of how simple it would seem in my mind to like <laughs> right. do everything and not have to like Share. be dependent on somebody else, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that that's actually been a reoccurring theme in my life. But like, like, like an accordion where you like expand and bring a bunch of folks in and then just close it up and yeah. go back to yourself and over and over and over again. Yeah. Or just like the reason that I know how to do as many things as I do is just because I didn't want to have to pay somebody else or like, it's like I started doing design because I needed someone to design like a show flyer for me. Yeah. You know, or like I, I started taking pictures because I needed somebody to take pictures of my merch. And I was like, all right, well, I could keep paying people over and over and over again, or I can just try to learn it. And it's hard, but it's like every time I would always have excuses for not wanting to dive into rabbit holes. Yeah. Um, usually those excuses are like the gear is too expensive or like it'll take me forever to learn. Um, but it's never as out of reach as, you know, you think it is. And then you have that knowledge forever. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I decided that I wanted to do a solo project. I ended up touring as I really wanted to like travel and yeah. like tour. Yeah. Um, so I decided that I was going to book a tour, but instead of booking a tour, I was just going to travel from city to city and hit different open mics like <laughs> yeah. every night yeah. because I was Which like the thing that used I mean that used to be touring yeah you know a lot of it was literally that yeah whether, whether it was the blues scene or or more of the songwriter scene yeah you'd go to Nashville you'd go to Asheville you'd go to Little Rock you'd go to all these places and just show up and and play yeah right and that was I mean that was an, an awesome experience it was also really exhausting we like had one hotel room for like the week and a half that we were gone and yeah. like I, I have slept in the back of like my old vibe uh pontiac vibe in like yeah, walmart vibe parking forever. lots I'd, <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd, i had two of those things. yeah and so that's when i guess that's the first time that i ever started touring and up until this year i've been on tour every year since then in okay. some capacity. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, then that project ended up leading into Primavera, uh, which was like an emo acoustic project, kind of. And I did that for 
while I was in college, I also learned that it's way more fun to be in a band when you're in a band. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. when you have other people, you know? To, like, share your victories with. <laughs> yeah. And, like, yeah. I think I realized that the moment that I had to set up a merch, like, stand and, like, <laughs> move all my gear inside. And I was like, oh, I have to do everything. But it was cool. Um, and that was a good, that was another, like, great learning opportunity. I think that I honed in more into, like, by that point, like, the 1975 was already a band. Yeah. And I feel like they kind of blew everyone's minds. And I really feel like they're one of the most influential artists uh, of that time just because, like, their visual presence and aesthetic was so well done that right. it went it went from, like, nobody cares about that stuff at all. And, yeah. you know, you can just use anything to all of a sudden it's, like, everyone wants to be super hyper-curated and, like... So seeing them do that, like being inspired by them, that's when I started like getting way more intentional with my branding uh, and with my design and visual side, which, like I said, I've been doing for a while um, just out of necessity. Yeah. Um, But once again, I never took myself seriously as like a photographer or as like a designer. Yeah. You're in school, right? Yeah. At this point, you're going to... What are you going to college for? I studied music business at Wayne State. Okay. Yeah. And so to rewind a little bit, you were you were selling sheet music as a kid. Is this back in the blue more of the blues era, like high school, or is this during college? Like what? Yeah. So you're you're the music thing is like erupting in your head, and the creative thing is starting to happen. Yeah. Was there like a career path that you were on before that, or was it always like? I'm going to find a way to do this. I think I always knew, I've always known that I wanted to do music. Okay. And uh, literally since, like, I was in the fourth or fifth grade. Okay. And I've never, since then, I've never changed like, my like mind about it. Like, diverted from that yeah. path. It's just been, okay. And the music store was actually the place that I took lessons at. Okay. Um, And I worked there from when I was, like, 17 to when I was, like, 21, maybe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then you're at Wayne State, which is, you know, good, good, uh, very common for folks to yeah. go do music business there. Is the program still there? It is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, it was out. On, uh, there's one on the West Coast. Uh, I think Ferris State has the other program. Yeah. Hope had one too, and they disintegrated it. Yeah. Um, what are you? Okay. So you're, you're in college. You've, you, you've got this Primavera thing that you're kind of lacing into the whole college experience. I feel like from my understanding, and again, I don't, I don't, you know, you and I, I think became close, like followers of each other's career paths more recently than some others. But like, I feel like you disappeared for a little bit. Yeah. From like the, from like the being out there playing shows part of it. Like, was that intentional? Was it, was it, um, was it like, I'm going to go plan my solo career and I'm going to step back or was it like there was there like a frustration point a point where it was like this obviously isn't working or like what what yeah precipitated this like leap into leaning into yourself and like creating this project that is your name yeah so 2016 I was doing Primavera I was in college I was traveling I was I tried to book way too many shows uh I was doing like I was doing weekend runs, like, for, like, a few months straight. Yeah. And it was, like, as well as, like, some some full, like, you know, two-week tours. The project wasn't really ready for that. Um, 
but I just wanted, I really wanted to do it. Uh, so I did. And I was in a relationship at the time and that relationship fell apart. And then right at around the same time, uh, the two guys that have been, that were playing in the band with me were kind of like, yo, like, I don't know if we can do this. Like we, like we kind of need to take a step back from this project, even though it's my project. So there was no reason that like that needed to stop me, but I think that like my relationship falling apart and then the band, like at the same time, it just kind of the writing was on the wall. I was like, sorta. "Fuck this!" <laughs> like, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I got, I don't care about anything. I'm just gonna like, like you know, um, take time and write it around that time when I really didn't know what I was doing. I saw on Facebook that Assemble was looking for interns. Yeah, and. At this time, Assemble had been on my radar uh, because I'd known about, like, Flint Eastwood and uh, also had just seen, like, what they were doing. I thought it was really sweet. So I wanted to be a part of it. So I applied. And uh, You showed up. I showed up. That's what you were talking about. Yeah, Yeah, I showed up. up. And they ended up, I got an interview and, you know, a couple weeks later, they were like, you got it. And that really changed my life. I got brought in as a marketing intern uh and my like boss was uh nicole shackleford shack yeah and she took me for a goddamn rock star she's incredible yeah uh one of my closest friends i love her so much and also like one of the best mentors that you know i could ever have um she took me from somebody who has opened illustrator to somebody who knows how to use it yeah and then same with like photo and like editing in Lightroom. Yeah. And uh she helped push me down the rabbit hole where I w- I went from like I don't know what I'm doing but I do it but I'm not going to commit because like there's just so much to learn to yeah. like I'm in. And yeah, you were just there. I I remember at that time, you know, obviously I managed Flint Eastwood, so I started yeah. seeing your name sort of pop up and I was like, you know, coming from like the the Again, I, I think I kind of lumped you in with, like, the metalcore crowd a little bit. Yeah, it was a weird totally. transition for me to, like, oh, you're over here hanging with the, the, the pop crowd now. Yeah. And it was just cool to watch the the um, the evolution of, of Brian yeah. kind of come through being in that room yeah. with those people, in those with those like-minded individuals. Um, and, yeah, I mean, a lot of changes happened at that time, too. Like, I heard Ultralight Beam by Kanye. Uh, for the first time right after Life of Pablo came out and was like, this is so sick. Right. And then I started listening to hip-hop music. Uh, and I also, like right after I got brought into Assemble, went to Electric Forest for the first time. And that actually uh, like blew my mind r- harder than Warp Tour, you know? How yeah. Before it was right. like, right. I thought that was the bi- biggest thing that you could do production-wise. And then I go to electric forest and it was just like this is Off insane right because warp tour really it was an underproduced thing right you know it, it seems big because of the number of people yeah and the energy and everything but like from a production standpoint it's it's nothing yeah you know they're just these not that it's nothing each individual stage totally. is just like underproduced there's no there's no light no lighting there's no it's just like stages and sound stage in a parking lot <laughs> yeah. and then a stage in that parking lot and a stage over there in the parking lot yeah and like it worked together but like electric forest was always um about the visual and about like just yeah. kind of fucking your mind on so many levels at the same time yeah that kind of also got me more into 
like I said, I was getting into hip hop. I was at Assemble, so I was surrounded by like more hip hop and pop producers. And then going to Electric Forest got me more into like understanding and appreciating like EDM. Um, right. And also, when I got back to like the rabbit hole thing, like I never thought that I would be able to produce my own records or like, re- you know, record myself. Uh, because my excuse was always like, I don't have the equipment to do it. Yeah. Uh, it's way too expensive. Like I'll never have access to that. So like, I'm just going to hire someone else to do it. And I was okay with that for a really long time. But then when I got involved at assemble, it was like, Oh, plot twist. Now I have access to all of the equipment, but I just need to figure out how to use it. <laughs> well, and it's funny too. Cause if you go into assemble, I mean, I know that Seth and, and has gathered, a lot of gear, but it's never been about the gear. Right. He's not one of those producers that's like, um, yeah, it's just not a gearhead. Totally. I'm sure he, he he enjoys collecting and the gathering and the piecing together of of these of this gear, but it was always like to me, it always felt kind of MacGyvered in the most definitely positive way possible. For sure. Yeah. To where, you know, and a lot of that has to do with obviously you can do that a little bit more, and that's just the direction the industry is going because you know, as you leave live instrumentation behind and you do beats and things like that, they can be done from a laptop. They can be yeah. done through software. They can be done through um, a variety of ways that maybe weren't available to you five, ten years ago. Totally. But then the spirit is what I always loved about, and it's what you said. It's that eye-opening, like, there's nothing holding me back. Yeah. And then if you need, as you need to, like, as you dig into it, if you need a drum kit, if you need if you need all those things, like you can go get them and yeah. you can pull them in from outside. But like the root element of like creating music from beginning to end is right there at your fingertips exactly. at assemble. And that I think with all of the um like the the placemaking and the kind of um like the family that they've created there, I think that's probably the next most important thing beyond the the community that they've created is this like confidence to just like go and create yeah. and not have anything keeping you from reaching your end goal. Totally. Yeah. One of the things that made me frustrated about being in Primavera was that I realized that I would spend 10% of my time writing songs and in the studio and 90% of my time sent like pushing those songs. Right. And like, at that point you're not really a creator, you're a marketer. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. So I was like, I want to be in a situation where I can be in a studio every day and like, all right, well, if I'm going to be in a studio every day, then I definitely can't afford to hire somebody. So like, I need to start learning how to do that. Um, and I think that that was honestly the biggest difference uh between primavera and my current project is that like i spend way more time making music uh than i do marketing it and yeah but you know you still have to have moments where i still go a few weeks where i won't really write because i'm just like getting branding together yeah um well you got to do that totally. i mean you can't write all the time i mean if, yeah. if, if i've ever had you know conversations with Jax that I've had over the years, it's like you get burned out, you know? Absolutely. Folks that write that many songs, you have to have brain breaks. It's funny, my, uh, I use the word brain break, my my five and a half year old is in kindergarten, but we're doing it virtually, yeah. right? Because of the pandemic. And it's just, we don't think it's safe to send her to school yet. And when she's 
burned out, she gets things called brain breaks where she gets 20 minutes and she sets a timer on her little iPad or whatever. And she goes and she sings and she dances and she plays with her, my little ponies. And then she comes back and she's refreshed. You know what I mean? And like, I'm that dude that like grinds out 11 hour, 12, 13 hour days. And, and she's not as experienced as I am. And she knows when she's burned out, you know, and if we could all like take that note from each other of like, sometimes it's cool to like, not create for a while to just sit back and, and, either a bask in your creation and just let it breathe or, or tell people about your creation or try to, you know, like create a space for yourself to like be at your best. Totally. And and I think being around a lot of the mentors that you've been around, I think you've absorbed, I I can feel that in the way you kind of like went away as an artist and then came back and it was, it came, you came back with like this intentionality and this purpose and this like thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you're listening to here for now. Uh, I'm Nate Duro and I'm here with my homie, a uh, very talented man, Brian Hugo Iglesias. Uh, you can check us out on social media at here for now pod. Uh, shoot us an email here for now pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, tell us what you want to have on the podcast anybody here in michigan would probably come and drive and hang out in this nice warm comfy studio in wyandotte and then afterwards you can get taco bell or wendy's because that's all there is here but um (laughs) i'm just slamming dude just slamming (laughs) um so you're at assemble you're a marketing intern you are starting to just kind of become part of the the group of like i don't want to call you regulars because that doesn't like yeah, it makes it seem like it's not special, but like you're just at a lot of shit. You're around. Yeah, totally. People are starting to like pick up that like I go to this thing. This guy's dancing. He's got his camera, and then sometimes he's fucking playing music. And then you know, like at what point? Okay, we're talking 2016, 2017. You you come on to assemble. Assemble starts to you know make some big waves. Flit Eastwood does the Big Fisher Building yeah. show and starts to like build a team, get signed, all these things. Tune Day is starting to kick ass over here and mm-hmm. you're starting to see. At what point did you kind of like start the plan of what became the launch of Brian Hugo Iglesias, the artist, and the Trust the Process EP and all the things that came with that? Like, where did that start formulating? Yeah. So I, like, even when I kind of took a step back from like pushing myself as a musician, I was always thinking about it and f- trying to figure it out. At the time, I was really just learning how to produce, uh, yeah. just getting better and better at production, just hours. Not t- you know, you don't have to post up every time that you go into a recording studio. Yeah, like people. Right. It's funny how when how you see people do that all the time, uh, and it's like, well, you're probably not in a recording studio very often if every time you go in, you're yeah, to stay relevant. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I think that I realized that I didn't want to create a new entity for a facet of my, like, creativity. And I kind of learned that with Primavera. It was like, if the project is only me, then why am I, why do I need to create another social account? Uh, Like, why do I have to split all the people that follow me? And so I kind of decided that, like, I just want to be a multifaceted creative where I do a lot of things and, like, it's all coming from me. And no no reason to, like, have to come up with a different name to, to like, put that in a box. Because, like, I, I want people to follow me for me. And, yeah, like, yep. 
because they like the work that I do and whether that's musically or visually, but it's like, you can kind of bring it all together because it is all. Um, and sure. so I think that what took me so long, honestly, was kind of figuring out what kind of music I wanted to make. Cause like, I have an appreciation for so many different types of music. I was like really, and I go through phases too, where I'm like, I love hip hop and I love hip hop production. I want to use 808s. And then I'm like, oh, but I love classic rock. I, I want like a real drum kit. Sure. And, or like, oh, I love electro funk and like, want like dubstep. And I'm like, so a lot, a lot of that was just figuring it out. Yeah. Um, but, it's amazing that yeah. it's so cohesive because that EP really is like Thank it's you. it's a it's a statement and a kind of a movement in one direction and it's like for somebody who has this background between the blues and the metalcore and the pop punk and then this shift you know into yeah. Kanye and then all you know it like to me I I I definitely hear the blues yeah uh, you wear your guitar like people wear their arm like it's just a part of you yeah. it's so natural yeah which is something you know going back to stevie ray vaughn like if there's ever a musician that was like the guitar was just another like part of their body yeah you absolutely know? it's that like the use of like yes you play chords but it's also like the way you play the chords and yeah. the way you bend and just wreck that instrument you know yeah and you've got so much of that in in what's going on with the with trust the process and then and then there's this obviously this pop sort of sensibility there's a lot of beats there's the, i wouldn't say there's a ton of hip-hop in it but there's like a the show feels a little hip-hop yeah it's kind of flashy in that way so like and i i mean i think that you could really break down this period of time in my life almost into separate internships and so the first internship was like the marketing one with Shaq where yeah. she taught me how to design and take pictures the next internship was when I started touring with Jax and she taught me how to do video like on the road yeah and that also I started dancing really hard because Jax is one of the best performers I've ever seen in my entire life. And yeah. even when I'm traveling with her for months, I still feel it every night. Well, and you're also in fear that Jax is going to call you out if you're not right. going hard. So yeah. Like, yeah. And uh, so that was like, that was like a video internship. And then she decided that she wanted to do like more of a DJ, like electronic, uh, you know, laptop based performance. And yep. so her and I literally locked in for like two or three weeks and built, like a light show that I would trigger on stage uh, with a in, in conjunction with a projector. And that was like a performance internship yeah. Uh, where it was like seeing how she navigates the crowd, seeing all the things that like, she has so many little tricks and they, she knows when to pull them out at the right time. They all work. And they all work. And uh, yeah. I toured with her probably for about a year and a half, like, Full pretty, time. pretty hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys were gone nonstop. And this is yeah. at the point where you you went over to Australia with her, right? I did. Um and that did, was insane. <laughs> did you did you do Europe too? No. Just Australia a couple times. Though. I did it once. Okay. I, I got involved right after the first time they went to Australia. Okay, cool. Um, tell tell yeah, tell me about Australia, dude. You you yeah. did music and it took you across the globe. How yeah. sick is that? It's like amazing. If, if at the end of the day, like that's the the part of the legacy you yeah. know that you that's pretty rad in and of itself to totally. have had music take you all the way 
to the other side of the planet. That was absolutely life-changing. I had never been outside of North America before. The flight was like 16 hours, and I literally slept for 12 hours on the way there. Good for you. That's that awesome. was incredible. Yeah. But uh, So my my birthday, my my birthday almost didn't happen that year because— You lost it in the flight? Our flight got delayed. Yeah. Uh, our flight got delayed, and we ended up, like, missing our connection flight to San Francisco, which meant that we had to stay in San Francisco and then fly to, like, L.A. a day later. And when you're going that direction on a plane, like, over the Meridian Line, or I don't yeah. even know what that is, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's, like, if you hit it at the right time, it'll be, like, a day it is February happened. 15th, and then you leave on February 15th, and you land on February 17th. Right. And my birthday is the 16th, so it was really close. We actually ended up <laughs> landing on my birthday uh, and immediately going to this festival outside of Melbourne yeah. uh, called Gay Times. And that was wild. It was amazing. Jax was having a blast. The crowd was incredible. and uh, But it's funny because a year earlier was probably the worst birthday I've had in my entire life, and that was also on the road. We used to tour out of this uh, charter. Uh, it's like one of those buses that you get picked up at the airport, the white ones. Yeah. And uh, it broke down like an hour and a half outside of Richmond. Yeah. And I had to stay with it. It broke down on my birthday. Oh, no. And I had to stay with it and strand myself in this town called South Boston, Virginia, for like three or four days by yourself by myself yeah. and ryan ended up like getting us he hitchhiked to get us a, a u-haul so that we could get the gear and then all like four of us crammed into the front seat drive to the venue and play the venue and then he stayed with the van to get her to a mechanic he calls me after the show and i was like hey dude i'm so sorry but i think that we need to switch spots because like it makes more sense to have a tour manager uh present for the next few days than like a photographer which yeah. i agree with yeah but then i oh, had so you to playing on stage you were i just, was a photographer you were just time. shooting at this point yeah i had to go and essentially strand myself an hour and a half outside of virginia and on the way there i got pulled over on my birthday <laughs> um it was my 22nd birthday and i got pulled over because I was going down a hill in a u-haul and didn't re and was like listening to brockhampton and didn't know how fast i was going sure I, I got, like, a reckless speeding charge. Because <laughs> you were hauling ass. Because I was hauling. Yeah. And, but I, as the cop was driving or w walking away, I was like, oh, it's my birthday. He's like, huh, yeah, nice. <laughs> He's like, Jeez. oh, it is. And I, like, got there and, like, stranded myself and woke up the next day. My first, like, full day of being 22 just felt like my youth. Like, <laughs> I was like, well, that's it. <laughs> nice. Um, but, yeah, so a year later, we're in Australia on my birthday. Uh, and Which vanishes almost. And it was amazing, you yeah. know. Um, did you get to hold a koala bear? That's what everybody does when they go to. No, we didn't. But no. we did go into. Did you even go then? I don't know. If you I don't, didn't get the picture with the koala bear. I saw a kangaroo. Did you drink a Foster's? I did. Okay. Yeah. Right. I fair. saw a kangaroo in the wild. Okay. Garrett and Ryan and I went into uh, the, the outback and it was very quick. And one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life was a baby kangaroo literally diving into his mama's pouch. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, Australia dude, was amazing. Dude, I uh, showed my wife this amazing meme the other day of a kangaroo and it's like chest deep in water. <laughs> and it says that apparently kangaroos, the meme, it wasn't 
I don't know. It just it didn't state what it was trying to say terribly clearly. Yeah. And I'm not going to either because of it. But like apparently kangaroos are really good, and that's what it said in the meme, are really good at drowning people. So if you ever see a kangaroo Whoa. sitting in like a, a like a puddle, like a little pond type yeah. thing, don't fucking go in after yeah. it. Because it will drown you. Dude. Like it's waiting. Are scary. It's waiting to like put you under and hold you under until you drown. And it's like, holy crap, I didn't know that about... Yeah, kangaroos they're, are... They're more intimidating than you might think. Like, yeah. And there's, like, two different kinds. Well, they all stand like they're, you know, like, yeah. built, you know? They're like, they're going to kick your ass. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. Did, did, did we know we were going to go down this path? I don't think so. That's great. Um, so you're in Australia. Yeah. You're with Jax. And, like... At this point, you're on stage, right? Yes. You're not just taking not just taking pictures, but you're actually performing as part of the the, the show. Yeah. Did uh, Australian fans do they receive music like Jax's any differently than they do over here? It's pretty much the same. They, I mean, they love her in Australia. Yeah. Um, she has a lot of support over there, which is amazing, and it was just totally surreal. But at the same time. At this point, we'd been touring pretty much nonstop for like a year and a half. And is this the trip where you went straight back to South by and everybody was just exhausted? Yeah. Ready to, yeah. So okay. we did we did two weeks on tour with Poppy, uh, where we were chasing their bus in our little minivan. Yeah. And it was only Ryan, Jax, and I for all of this. Uh yeah. like, you know, three person crew. So we did two weeks chasing a chasing a bus and then flew to Australia. We missed our day off because of that flight, so we immediately had to go. And then Jax pretty much had meetings nonstop. I had more of a chance to kind of go around the city. Um, But we were just burnt out, you know? And it's insane how, like, when you feel that way, you don't... You're not present, you know? It's just like, I'm here, but, like, I'm thinking... It's got to be so hard to, like, do art when you're not even there, like, mentally. It's and you could see hard. it in Jax's face. Yeah. And I know you guys were all feeling it at that point. So this is 2019, right? Yeah. So you're it's March 2019. You come home. You do that. Was there I feel like there was also like a Utah, like a weird tree fort festival or something in that. Like yeah. and then and then you come home and like that's the end of that album cycle for Jax. Yep. So is that kind of the natural catalyst into the ne- you being able to have the time to make the next step yeah. with your solo stuff? It's just more, so it's less that like you didn't you didn't spend those years like hemming and hawing on what you were going to do. It's more like this is now the time that I have yeah. after all this other stuff that I did to like. I felt like I had completed my internships and was ready to <laughs> right. actually start doing it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I kind of had to make a choice too which was like, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? Do I want to be like a touring photographer? Do I want to be like a touring musician? Do I want to have my own project? And what does that mean? So I kind of had to make the choice that I was going to prioritize working on my own music. Uh, And obviously Jax was, you know, super understanding and like supportive. But yeah, I kind of had to make that choice where it's like, I might not go on a tour because I really want to focus. Uh, it's funny because regardless of what choice I'd made, I would have had a lot of time the next year, which was last year. Sure, <laughs> and, yeah, right. Um, so it's there's a lesson there in itself, but at the same time... Uh, so it's your fault. 
it's my fault. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, look, some people are validated with um, the way things went down. Yeah. You know, because they're already planning on kind of this, this. Uh, I don't want to call it downtime, but yeah. a time where you could stay home and you could stay within your community and just kind of work on stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it was it, it was really important for me to to take a step back and to really focus on pushing this project and launching it. When did the first single come out? That was in September 2019. And I played a show that night with Joe Hurtler. At right. the Loving Touch. Okay. Who yeah. are also some really good friends of mine. Um, yes. Shout out Joe Hurtler. Shout out Joe Hurtler. And the Rainbow And the Seekers. Rainbow Seekers. I felt like you were kind of a, what do you call that? An honorable mention Rainbow Seeker. Yeah, totally. An honorable mention. Uh, honorary. Yeah, there we go. They took me to Electric Forest, and that's when I started dancing on stage. And then okay. I brought that back to Jack's World. Sure. Yeah. Like, you came home, and... I. Feel like that's when you started dressing the way you dress now. Yeah, like you, yeah, your, your sense of style is like a rainbow seeker. <laughs> yeah, in the best possible way. Absolutely. What else did you? Uh, let's focus on Joe a little bit. What else did you learn from Joe? Because Joe is a force. He Joe is. is yeah. Joe is like an understated. Somehow, being in that band, somehow he's still understated or under. Uh, I think maybe because Aaron and some of the others are so flashy and whatever. Yeah. There is such a core of just incredible songwriting that comes from Joe. Absolutely. He's like a space cadet of a human being sometimes. His his mind is super expansive and he can go in all these different directions, but like he's still obviously the he's the Joe Hurtler in yeah. Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers. But like what else did you learn from Joe about like doing this? I think that uh one of my favorite things about Joe is that who I thought that he was when I saw pictures of him and like would see would listen to his music when I met him it was the same person and yeah, yeah that's, that's true. I think that that's really it's sweet I mean I think that it's a lot easier to act a certain way when you don't have to try to be that way yeah. if, if like I am like a super quiet person but whenever I you know push myself as like an artist you see me as like this like dude who dances all the time and is like super out there then it's like I'm always gonna have to be working to keep something up but he it's like he rooted his image in authenticity and because of that it's way easier to maintain yeah he he like he writes folk love songs full of Michigan lore mm -hmm. that like work best at like an electric forest type environment where like yeah. people are kind of um conscious and free and all these things and then he also like takes his kayak and does river cleanups and it's yeah. like yeah that's exactly the like in his spare time he's the person that he's writing about being in, in his songs. songs yeah and i think that i made i wanted to do that you know yeah um it's also um they are just such incredible instrumentalists and Dude, like it's, it's ridiculous that is especially when i'm surrounded by when i'm living in a world of like hip-hop production and like pressing play on a laptop and making a crowd shake which is awesome and sweet for its own reasons like to then be like actually these guys are playing everything right now and it's like the best thing i've ever seen yeah. so that i i really love the rainbow seekers all they're such great people yeah. And it doesn't seem to matter. Somehow they they find new, 
you know, because Kevin is has left over the years. Rick is left mm-hmm. over the years. I know they still kind of plug in from time to time. Kevin was such a huge part of getting that band going because he was the recording engineer that kind of did everything. You know, Rick is obviously an insanely creative person. If you've ever seen his clocks. Yeah, his clocks are incredible. It's just, yeah, it's like woodworking on another planet, you know. But they've somehow managed to like plug other folks in. Now Aaron's stepped back and Aaron is just a, a gigantic personality. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine a show, a Hurtler and uh, a Rainbow Seeker show without Aaron or without any of those guys. But like every time I see him, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like it does matter, but it doesn't matter. Like it's such a, a powerful force live. And it's just so, um, yeah, that, that like community just leaks out of it in big giant drove, you know, yeah. just, it, I don't know. I think that like, being able to like look up to them and to like look up to what Jax was doing with Flint Eastwood. It's like, they were both undeniable. Uh, they are both undeniable when they perform and it's an honor to be able to have experienced that and to have worked closely with them. Yeah, for sure. So the single comes out in September, 2019. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is four or five months after you come down from South by so that, you know, that checks out. You, you, you work on that, you get it ready, you you launch the brand, you come out with this single, which is this soaring, like, I <laughs> had the hardest time ex- describing it. I don't yeah. remember who I needed to describe it to. I used the black keys in a description, which is such a weird thing because, like, I wouldn't see you as being that, but it's like this, it's the way that you drew blues and pop together yeah. in a way that's gigantic sounding and would sound huge in, like, an arena, mm-hmm. you know? Um the music to me doesn't sound anything like the Black Keys, but it just took this like element of these two different things and smashed them together in this way. What were you? Was it was the first single? Trust the process. Was it the e- no? Uh, the it, first single was Open Up the Door. Oh right, right, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> However, that yeah, yeah. That, that just big like organy kind of yeah yeah driving which you play on guitar like that's all that's not really it yeah. sounds like a fucking organ. I think that there's one layered in there somewhere. Okay, but, okay, yeah. but like out of the gate, you um, first of all you didn't shy away from the guitar. Right. You featured the guitar. There's guitar solos in a yeah. lot of your stuff. How do you think that fits into like what is going on right now? You know, there's not a lot. I mean, there are definitely artists that are doing what you're doing where it's like a solo thing that you can play by yourself or you can play with a full band and the guitar is still there, but there's beats and tracks and all these things. But like, how do you, how do you fit that into like the narrative of what's going on right now? Yeah. Or do you care? What's For going me, on right <laughs> it was, I care. And I love listening to, I like to say current with music. Um, I think that when I was trying to figure out what kind of sound I wanted to make, I don't think that I really understood my sound until I made the EP. So Mm -hmm. it took me a while, Yeah, but I knew that I'm good at guitar and it's like, I want to play on my strengths, you know? So it's like, if that's something that I can do that I'm good at, like I should do it. Even if like, I might not listen to that much music that has a lot of guitars in it, but yeah, so I think that a big part of that is trying to play on my strengths. Does it feel like that step that you took from all the stuff that led up to that to that moment when you put that, you know, song and then consequently the EP out into the world? Is it a step in a direction that you're going, or is it like have you clearly defined the direction you're headed yet? Does that make sense? Like, I, I gotta imagine that you're already you've got um, 
you've got follow up yeah songs yeah. probably by the billion yeah. are you like a prodigious like do you write a ton of songs to get to six to put out or do you yeah like, so you have a bunch that just don't ever make it I think the hardest part for me right now is not forgetting about songs and honestly whenever I can remember or resuscitate a song that I wrote from like 2017 or like 2018 like if I can bring back elements of that and make it something that can come out then it almost feels like I'm like saving time that I didn't feel like I was using to push something you know um but right now I'm I'm still figuring a lot of it out I am more concerned with positioning right now that's a something that I've been thinking about a lot Mm -hmm. which is like how do I want to position myself in like the arts music culture scene of what's happening in the world sure the first step of that is you know bringing everything into one where it's like like what what I was talking about earlier like I'm not making up several different names for these different parts of my life it's all one your photography your video your, your support just the way you support others and your music all kind of live in one place. Yeah, and as yeah. people see the things that I do, there's so many different kinds of releases that I can do in that point, sure. you know? Yeah, like if yeah. I make a, vid- if, if, a if video. If you direct a video or, or, yeah. Or if I put out a song. Or, or if start like a video. I take, you know, photos of something. If I drop prints, like, it's all, but it's all Brian, Igla- uh, Brian Hugo Iglesias, Brian Iglesias. Yeah. And I think that... uh for me, I want to be a mirror for what a lot of people are going through. I also, I want it to be authentic. I want it to be consistent. Consistency, I think, is my main thing. Yeah. I am less concerned with frequency. And okay, more so not consistency as far as frequency goes, but consistency of like e- ethic and quality and like yeah. what it feels like when you consume a piece of art from yeah. you. You want it to meet a certain standard and within that there's all kinds of lanes you can go down flexibility yeah. as far as the, what it sounds like what it looks like all of those things and always be evolving too sure. you know sure. um I, I i want everything i do to be better than the thing that came before it yeah how much does detroit play into all this it's pretty huge i've been living in detroit since i was 18 and i feel like the first couple years i was living in the dorms at college and I didn't really, I didn't really explore the city that much. Sure. I, uh, I was just kind of on campus the entire time. But when I got involved with Assemble, it really opened me up to like everything that also was going on. Yeah. And yeah, I I really love Detroit. I love the energy that's there. I think that a lot of like the Assemble spirit that you were talking about before has to do with just like Detroit and like making yeah just making shit happen. It's like oh like. MacGyvering a mic stand because like you need something like a mic stand and like right. that one's broken but we have duct tape so like let's fix it because like <laughs> right. nobody's going to know. This whole city's duct taped together. <laughs> yeah. 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 And um, are you are you going to live here forever? Do you think? I mean, is this going to be home? Thirty years from now, are you going to say your hometown is Detroit? I would say so, but I have no idea. I think that. Uh, and you don't have to. I think that I'm planning on living here for as long as it continues to service to serve me. You know, um, the moment that I think it'll be pretty obvious 
uh, if I ever feel like I need to move somewhere else. Sure. And if I'm going to move somewhere. you're not approaching that in any fashion right now. Not yet. Yeah. Okay. You said earlier your dad is very Mexican. Yeah. Do you feel do, do you feel influenced from from your uh, roots and where you grew up? Yeah. Where you started your life? Like, does it flow through your art at this point? Um, it really does not. And I think that something that I've always kind of struggled with is that I feel like I'm just out here kind of on my own. I... I'm an only child, so I don't have any siblings. Uh, I don't really have any family in Michigan, except for my mom and dad. Sure. And I've all—I mean, I—I I grew up in a pretty diverse like high school, but never really connected with my Mexican heritage uh, too deeply. And I think that that's something that I will tap into more so as I continue to get older. Um, yeah. I think that resources I need to spend... lead to that, right? Like, yeah, like, like, like when you, first of all, when you have the ability to choose where you're going to tour, yeah, where you're going to release music, you're going to have, and also, you know, just having the time and the energy to like travel and to yeah. go to places where you can choose, you know. I think I need to spend some time in Mexico. Um, yeah, I go back with my parents about every other year, but. It's always with my parents, you know. I sure. need to go and yeah. just like experience the country on my yeah. own. Um yeah. and yeah, I I don't really feel like a strong attachment to being Mexican or being white. I really feel ambiguous. Okay. Which I don't know. It do, it doesn't really I don't really think about it too much, but I don't sure. feel this strong you know, cultural attachment outside of like, and that like extends to the fact that like what like family is, you know? And like, uh, I mean, I love going to Mexico. I love my Mexican family. They're amazing. Are they part of like the, I don't want to say the everyday, but like I'll say at 41, you know, um, my family, my extended family feels like my extended family at this point. Like they're not part of the decision-making process that I have. Yeah. I don't, I don't shift anything that I do. Yeah. For uncles and aunts. And that comes, you know, obviously I've got my own wife and child to worry about now. Totally. But like, do they feel like somebody you go see on a family reunion and then that's kind of it? Or do you stay in contact? Do they know about your music career? Do they know when you yeah. put out a single? Do you get support at least from the family members on stuff like that? Or is it more like a pen pal feel? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um I don't want to sell that short. I just no, I, totally. I just don't know what it's like to have you know family on another uh, in yeah. another country or in another you know culture entirely. Yeah, I mean, I really do love my uh, Mexican family. I love my entire family. Sure, uh, I really do, and I feel very fortunate um, to have you know such an amazing family. I hope that I have a chance to connect with them more, um, but it's you know literally. A proximity thing, sure. um, yeah. as well as you know, totally different cultural upbringings. Um, yeah. But I think that like the older that I get, the closer I uh, am getting to them. Okay. And I think that I need to honestly practice my Spanish more. Sometimes I get self conscious trying to message them because I'm really bad at writing Spanish. I have always known how to speak it fluently, but I'm not very good at writing it. Sure. Yeah. So I always feel like dumb when I like 
don't know how to spell a word or like have yeah. to use Google Translate. <laughs> do they speak English? Uh, they do sometimes. Uh, yeah, they do. But I, it's, so, I want to speak in the a language, bit, you know? Yeah, but there's a little bit of a barrier there, whether it's yeah. in, in, internal and in your, yeah, that makes sense. Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like what, I mean, that could be literal, you know, like an alarm clock or for me, it's right now it's guilt. Yeah. Because I look at the clock and it's like 9.30 and I'm still in bed. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, oh, I better get up. Like that's the only thing getting me out of bed at that time is, yeah. just, damn it, I should be up. I think for me, it's still uh, music. Honestly, I am by far my most inspired right when I wake up. Oh, okay. Um, Early morning or late, like later in the, are you? I'm like a, I like to sleep until, I like to wake up naturally. Okay. Um, You know, depending on, I go through phases where I'll be waking up between eight and nine every day. I yeah. feel really good about myself. Or I'll go through phases where it's like, 10 30 11 30 and <laughs> yeah, i'm like right I, I what am i doing right but um with assemble i clock in at noon every day okay so that kind of like drives the like the the rhythm yeah and you can slide that back and forth and you know we yeah. have the luxury in the music business to kind of slide that around to yeah. like a later time a lot of our contemporaries are on the west coast so they're, right you know they're not even getting online until 11 or noon our time you yeah. know at the latest so and i like to I, so i like to wake up and be able to work on music for a few hours before okay. i have to do anything else and i think that like consistently that is the thing that i could w- wake up and do like every day when you like kind of bottom out what what is it that's slowing you down i think that my biggest limitation is time okay and I've gotten pretty good at managing my time, but... Is that because you're in so many diverse yeah. disciplines? Yep. You're, you're doing video, you're doing photo, you're doing uh, your own Design, music. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, like, I'm a firm believer that you get good at what you do the most. And sometimes I feel like... I'm st- Sometimes I do start to feel what I was talking to you about before, where it's like, I'm only spending 10% writing working on this i'm spending 90 percent doing all this other stuff yeah um i think time is my biggest limitation and i think that i'm pretty good at managing it but i'm also i don't know distracted too sometimes yeah well (laughs) yeah right straight up i mean yeah you're 25 and you got a hell of a lot more going for you than i ever did when i was 25 years old i was just getting started in all this so yeah um you've accomplished a ton and you're allowed to have room for that you know like that that your own worst enemy kind of thing, but in a, in a kind of a harmless sort of way. Yeah. You know what? Like video games are fun sometimes. Or like, yeah. Yeah. Sleeping is great. Um, what's, you know, besides Jax and Joe and some of these obviously obvious ones that have been connected to your career, what's one musical artist that you really believe in right now? And it can be somebody local a peer, or it can be just a big name that you're like, just attached to, you know, the, the the rise and fall of that artist's career. I am super hyped right now about Bruno Mars and Anderson Pox project together. Okay. And I've been a Bruno Mars fan for a really long time. Like he, since I was like in high school. He gets a bad rap to me. He does. He's I don't mirac- know why. He's miraculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's great. I mean, his first album was very cookie cutter and but I liked it. Yeah. Um 
And every, every he's always just been great. I have a lot of uh, respect for him as a songwriter. He hasn't dropped an album. 24 Karat Magic came out five years ago. Yeah. And nobody has been like, where's the album, Bruno? Right. Because everyone's still listening to 24 Karat Magic. Yeah. And I've recently gotten super into Anderson Pac too. Uh, super inspired by him. And so when that album came like, out or was, was like announced yeah it was like rumored to be happening or i was or... like i feel like they made this for me <laughs> but <laughs> right right like 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 a ray of sunshine opened from the clouds and just shone down on you like, yeah this is for you brian yeah it felt i was like freaking out um and that whole rollout is just incredible now i feel like i'm like an ad for that album i don't but care it's fine it's just it's incredible and yeah. how do you apply it to your career and what you're like i mean I just like to see people thinking outside the box and doing like Bruno Mars announced this alter ego named Ricky Regal and Ricky Regal has a Lacoste like partnership. And like, I'm like, who does that? Like, that's sick. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I I really, it's thinking outside the box is like so important. And I think that a lot of people uh, don't, do it enough. And it all ties back to what you're talking about, like with your name. Your name is still the center of like your universe, but yeah. you still have room for these other projects that may be named different things yeah. or branded in certain ways or geared towards other demographics than your fan base. Uh so kudos on you to be uh for being a talented human being that can create in multiple mediums and like yeah. still find a way to tie all that together. So I would think as you look at how Bruno went from like this you know, you kind of joked about like Katy Perry songs or whatever, like this uh, singular thought. And not that Katy Perry is bad or anything like that, but Katy Perry is Katy Perry. Right. Right. And there's very little like diversity to what the brand is for Katy Perry, where now you're seeing Bruno Mars and you're seeing other artists too. I mean, Taylor Swift's new stuff and, and some of the, you know, all of these artists that have, like, kind of peaked, and you can't really get bigger than Lady Gaga totally. or Bruno Mars or whatever. You're going to have to do something different, yeah. right? You're going to have to um, invent a side band that's just as good as your yeah. main band and then also have a alter ego that puts out a clothing line, uh, you know, like yeah. all of these things. You know, the bus up for them to be able to get there and do that. It's super sick. I think, uh, absolutely. And, like, I feel like a big part of being an artist like i said is being a mirror but also just like growing i feel like you have to allow yourself to grow with the people that like your art and like those are the artists that really i think have the most longevity where it's like taylor swift was a 14 year old girl and her friends or her fans were 14 year old 14 year olds you know yeah and then it's like now she's what twenty eight or twenty nine, and those people are twenty eight or twenty nine. They sure. want different things. They yep. everybody does, you know. Everyone grew, and that's. I think that when you can do that authentically, that's when you get the most longevity as an artist. Yeah. Um. And I authenticity really is. I see it as like a defense mechanism, because like like I said, the moment that you're not authentic, then you have to put work into trying to keep that up. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, through all of this, what's your favorite uh, music memory? Um, it can be, you know, part of your career. It can be something that you witness from an audience, or, or yeah. Like, so what's your number one um, memory that resonates from music? Probably going on stage with 
Jacks at Red Rocks. That oh, was yeah, pretty dude. insane. Speaking of, so, so I <laughs> talked about your guitar earlier and the way it kind of fits into your like electronic-y, poppy sort of music. I mean, you know, that was with Grizz, right? Yeah. And you talk about Grizz, you know, with a saxophone, yeah. right? Like taking this instrument and mixing it into a world that is not instruments, right? right? So, you know, somebody who has created this whole momentum behind, you know, you go see Grizz and now at most places you go, it's two nights and one night's more of the electronic set and the other night is like the full band, like performance. Or or if he does go on tour and is just playing one per market, it's this mix of like, you know, you're going to an EDM show, but you're also getting like this, almost like the Grizz orchestra at this point, you know? Yeah, and he, I mean, he inspired me a lot too, um, and just what they were doing and how they did that. Sure. And so, what was it? So, Red Rocks, I, I haven't been. Um, obviously, I'm very familiar and very aware. Uh, what about it was like the most striking? I mean, the rocks that are red, obviously, but like, what was there a moment? Was there a was there something when you walked in, or something when you hit the stage, or or you know? It's just it's probably the most beautiful venue in the world or that I've ever been to. Sure. It's up there. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's really incredible. They have this like room where it's like you have to walk in through this tunnel to get to like the sound booth. Yeah. And uh, in there, there's like, it's just covered in Sharpie of people that sign their names. Yeah. There's a urban legend that the bigger you sign their the bigger you sign your name, the less likely you are to uh, to play Red Rocks again. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. And I didn't realize that, but I uh, forgot to sign my name. So just forgot entirely. Yeah. So, so hopefully that is working in my favor. Yeah. Otherwise, maybe you'll, be, you'll get like a, a residency <laughs> there one of these years, so you get to play a whole summer or something. Yeah. And I mean, but that that place is amazing. Um, Dally in the Alley was also a really when I I got to play Dalian Alley, it was one of my first shows. Yeah, that was like the first weekend. Right? Yeah. yeah, and that was like I I live there, you know. Yeah, I, it has, I've never had a more convenient load in. Uh, I literally <laughs> right, right. had to carry your carry guitar down amp. the stairs and out into yeah, exactly out into um, your parking lot. Pretty much, yeah. And that was that was that was an amazing uh, show. I feel like I really had a lot of control and felt really confident with it. I remember I I. I I don't know why I didn't end up making it. I wanted to. Um, <laughs> sounds like a fucking <laughs> meme on Instagram. I wanted to come to your show. Um, but I do remember the the aura you had about yourself and the excitement. I could just feel yeah. it. It was palpable that you were just like, this is me launching this new thing into the world. Yeah. And I, I hope that you're there with me. And then I remember after feeling like it, was validating in that way. Yeah. Like the way you carried yourself afterwards. A lot of people start off with that like big first moment and it's kind of a punch in the face, yeah. you know? And it, and I was so glad. I remember being so glad that you had tried so hard and you had put so much into this and then it was validating and it, and yeah. it worked, you know? Totally. And that's just that moment. And, you know, we talk about like Jack's over the years, you and I both have been able to share so many of those moments with people like that and mm-hmm. Jason and, and, you know, seeing that, like, um, the payoff, Yeah. you know, and unfortunately the amount of work that you put in to get a half an hour of payoff is just that the scales don't no. balance very often. <laughs> people have no idea. So to, to balance that out, I want to ask you what your worst music moment was. 
It was probably when we were on when I was playing a show with Jackson Australia. It was right after it was the day after my birthday. We hadn't had a chance to sleep yet, and it was this state fair. It was like state fair vibes, and it was like a hundred. 99 degrees <laughs> and, right. and my computer started skipping uh oh, no. overheating and we were just dead and it was like there was like families with like strollers walking around and like and you guys are just up there we're like, just like fucking up and we're, and we're, not, we're, not yeah. at your fault but like no the from the outside it's like what is this <laughs> yeah and i mean it was also not uh it was like not the right like Sure. vibe yeah, like, remember, even if it had gone well it still is just like not the right yeah vibe. <laughs> i remember the um i think part of the the unpacking of that whole australia thing was the fact that there were some things that were so good and then some parts of it yeah. were just so so yeah debilitating so well i'm sorry you had to go through that it's all right and, you uh you learn yeah a lot in those moments and yeah. I, when I was managing Jax, another, you know, similar thing, we we uh, had her with the band play Arts, Beats, and Eats in Royal Oak one year. Yeah. And uh, she, same thing, you know, hot, hot day. Yeah. And for whatever reason, she went on stage and decided to play barefoot. Uh-oh. And this is what the band, <laughs> and she went right up to the front edge of the stage, which was in the sun all day. And yeah. like, you could see it immediately where she went, oh my God, my feet just melted. <sighs> and like tears, you just, you could yeah. see it. And she, she got through the rest of the set, you know, the shade was like back to almost the drum riser. So she yeah. just hung out back with Mark for the rest of the show. But I just remember that, like that utter moment of just like, oh my God, I'm going to be dealing with peeling yeah. skin off the bottom of my feet for the next month, you know, oh. just like, oh, it was so bad. She must have stepped right in, you know, I mean, it probably yeah. had to be 100 and 200 degrees on that stage or whatever. Oh my God. Yeah, so uh, at least the music kept playing though yeah. at that point. But I, I yeah, uh, I was actually just talking to Smino's team about um, doing some streaming stuff and they he played Audio Tree Festival in like 2017 or 2016, something like that. And the same thing happened. It was super hot yeah. and the computer overloaded. And there's just nothing you could do there's at that nothing. point. It's not like a drum kit or a guitar where you can just like, oh shit, my amp fried. Right. Is there another amp around? Like it's oh, done. The show is on the fucking computer. Yeah. It's just, it's over. That's... Which is then suddenly you're like, I wish that I was just a normal band. And then he's like, <laughs> right. yep, yep, yep. All yeah. of that. All, and again, it goes back to that payoff. It's like all yeah. of that work for the payoff and then you have these negative moments that happen in like reverse yeah you know all of that so i think that uh there's a lot to be said about those moments though and yeah. i think that another big thing about being an artist is not broadcasting those uh misses yeah and it's really like because everybody has them every they happen all the time you're right. gonna get them all the time but it's like the crowd isn't gonna realize how bad everything is going unless it's like that bad where like it literally has to stop sure. but like if you mess up no one's gonna notice if you don't like make a face that like you messed up and they like get pissed off and like right and then also like yeah i think that just applies to everything like if you put out a single and, it, and people don't really like it as much just drop another one and people will probably not really talk about that uh, right. it's the moment yeah. that you it's the moment that you start drawing attention to your failures that people start valleys. to pay attention yeah yeah, yeah. um the, you know the band Brother Elsie, obviously. Yeah. Very. Um, there's a song from them which I think is their best song that they've ever produced, 
but it just never stuck. Yeah. And I can't understand it, you know, but they just went on to the next one and it yeah. was fine, you know, and the next one responded, got all the, you know, the acclaim and the plays and it was just a timing thing. Yeah. Whatever it was, whatever caused it to not, you know, the song's still there and it can still yeah. be part of the live set and I can still, you know, get chills at the the brotherly harmonies there and everything yeah. that comes out on that song. But for whatever reason, it just didn't get as popular, and that's okay. I'll keep it as my little like B side, yeah. you know, like my little my deep deep cut secret. Yeah. And there's so many songs like that, you know. You go back to Queen or any other classic rock. I mean, you there's deep cuts there that never got famous that should totally. have. Totally, one hundred percent. And then they become live highlights, right? Yeah. Like they become things that you you know, you know, Hurtler's got his songs that are more popular, like the Jet Ski song and all that kind of thing. But like, there's songs that like they play live at every show. And it's just part of it, and they yeah. never got the 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 headlines or whatever. But it's just part of what you do. Um, getting close to the end here, I got a couple more questions, and then we're gonna blast into a speed round where I kind of rapid fire some questions at you. Yeah, and you give me the first thing that comes to your head. But before we get to that point, um, I just want to remind everyone uh, that you're listening to here for now. I'm Nate Duroe, and the uh, good looking gentleman on the other side of the glass from me, uh, smiling and. Uh, rocking back and forth on his stool is Brian Hugo Iglesias. Uh, we're here at Eureka Records in Wyandotte, Michigan, and uh, Tyler Floyd is producing. Thanks, Tyler, as always. We appreciate you. You heard music earlier from the Fever Haze. All the art you see is uh, from Alex Maniak of Shortly. We have a sponsor that uh, is very kind, very kind and very lovely folks. At Two Foot Parade, they're an independent record label uh, based here in the Midwest that just has a cool ethic about them. Um, they work with a variety of individuals uh, and artists throughout the area, Nest Lake uh, being the one that I, you know, I know the most. But uh, check them out, twofootparade.com. Uh, there's a new um, new website up there. Uh, lots of cool stuff. Support independent. You know what? We're, we're at a point right now. I uh, went and got takeout the other night, last night. I don't know what day it is. Um, Got takeout last night, and it came to a lot more than I would normally do <laughs> as far as eating out. But I just had to tip on top of it. You know, it's like it's it's a time where like maybe we're not doing as much, so we need to make our our little bit of support that we can count. So Two Foot Parade has stepped out of their comfort zone to help support this podcast, and we very much appreciate it. And uh, I, w- I hope that each of you goes to twofootparade.com or at Two Foot Parade on socials. Um, Brian... Give me some advice for fellow creative people. Like if Brian was being uh, summoned to stand up in front of a class and give one piece of wisdom like B.B. Uh, King gave to you all those years ago, what would you, what nugget of wisdom would you slap down for them? I would say don't be afraid to dive into the rabbit hole. If you want to learn how to do something, just do it. Yeah. I, I, I've had that MO over the years too. You know, I've always been somebody who, I don't know, somehow I got to age 18 or 20 or 25 even and just didn't have any fucking skills. Yeah. And I didn't have that early on. Yeah. I'm always impressed with folks like you that do. And I've caught on, right? Mm-hmm. I've caught up, I feel like. And I've, I've, you know, I still don't have, uh, you know, skills per se, but I have a skill set of, of different knowledge and things that I've like pounded down over the years. But I, I'm always impressed by someone like you that seems to be out there, like just figuring it out. Right. Thank you. Like the, the world, uh, the world, I don't want to say it seems easier for you, but it seems more, um, conquerable 
yeah. for you than it did for me as a young person. Yeah. So that rules. I I wish you would have stood in front of my class and told me that maybe yeah. maybe 30 years ago or so. Um, how do you plan to use your platform and your voice to kind of affect change as you go along? Yeah. My biggest thing, I think that I want to inspire creatives. Um, and I speak to people that are creative, which honestly now, I would say that more people are creative now than ever have been. Like there, and it, it comes from access, you know, like yeah. more people can get Photoshop or like can get GarageBand on there, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, so I want to show people that you don't just have to do one thing, that you can do several different things. Yeah. That you don't have to just be a photographer. That you don't have to just be a musician. Well, that's the assemble sound thing. Like, that's kind of where that came from, is that idea of, like, you don't need to let your lack of access stop you. Right. Because there are affordable ways to collaborate. Yeah. To to get done what you need done so you can take the next step. Yeah. And I think that I want to challenge people to have conversations uh, in general. I feel like everyone lives in a bubble that is our it is the algorithms that feed us you know whatever we need to see every day on our phones and and we're even deeper embedded in that bubble now right absolutely and the polarization is just so insane at this point that it's like i hope that i can challenge people like think consider other sides in in general not just politically sure not just creatively but I feel like not everything is as right and wrong, black and white as like right. we think it is because the of path that. is not the path is not one, two, three every time. Sometimes yeah. it's one, three, two, and sometimes it's yeah, yeah. You skip two altogether. Yeah, I think that uh I want to inspire people to connect with other people. Yeah. We didn't talk much about COVID and the pandemic. Um, but I think this might be a good place to kind of um Yeah maybe bring that up a little bit more is the idea that, you know, that uh, algorithm that defines us a little too closely has closed in on us very significantly. I know that I um, struggle to think outside of the things that the algorithm feeds me, you know, like my entertainment, my uh, just something to do, you know, creativity. uh, It's difficult in this time because if you're not out and you're not experiencing a lot of things, you're just letting it be fed to you by right. your, by your viewing habits and your own habits but then you know the one place we do reach out to to connect with other people right now because it's safe for, safer to do so is through our phones through our technology yeah tell me a little bit about what you've done within this last year besides obviously recording the EP and releasing it which we talked about yeah but like what have you done to allow yourself to to divert from the the algorithm to keep yourself fresh yeah to keep yourself connected like how do we how do we get away from it's hard i mean the the monster steering us yeah it's really hard i think that at the very least being intentional with what you follow and aware of what you're following yeah like i have to have an instagram i have to be on social media yeah uh as an artist and as somebody who does marketing and runs social accounts for people. <laughs> right, right. I I I have to. So yep. I can't I can't delete it. Uh, Same. Unfortunately. Yep. But 
I think that the first step is to, yeah, just be very intentional about what you're following. Like, meme accounts are great, but sometimes it's all mind-numbing and it'll rot your brain. Or, like, look at who you get your news from and what sources are more biased and what sources aren't, you know? And, you know, I actually do feel like one of the reasons that music is so therapeutic to me, though, and I realized this over the course of the last year, is that that's the longest that I go without checking my phone is when I'm working on a song, uh, when I'm writing a song. Yeah. And... It's been on the floor for almost two hours now, so we're doing good. Maybe you should do some more podcasts, too. Right? Yeah, this is great. Having human conversation, God forbid. And I think, uh, I mean, the year has been super challenging for me. I consider myself one of the most extroverted people I know. And I live in a one-bedroom apartment by myself. So I went, like, a few months without seeing, like, anybody. And that was crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. Um, it's real hard. I think uh, this next year is going to be really strange because there's going to be some sort of reacclimation to society. Yep. And I think that... We haven't allowed ourselves to admit it yet. We haven't allowed ourselves to admit a lot of things like how messed up it is that we had to go through this <laughs> yeah and like the like you gotta be you, hu- you hugged me when we walked in today yeah but it wasn't a it neither of us would say that was a good hug you never yeah it's always like a, oh is this it cool was like we both did it yeah. and we were like should we have done that is this so and, and like yeah. the questioning of that for somebody like you who i haven't seen in a while yeah and i want to squeeze the shit out of yeah that's fucked up. Yeah. You know, like my parents don't come over right now unless they wear a mask. And my yeah. dad does not want to wear a mask. So it makes him grumpy. Yeah. And I haven't seen my dad like twice since last year, you totally. know, and it's like just all of these things that like I looked at you less as like, oh, my dude that I haven't seen. It's like, oh, I could be catching the disease right yeah. now. And like, even if it wasn't centered in my head, I thought it. Totally. And that's fucked up. It, it is. And like, it's so... We underappreciate the impact that this is having on our mental health. Yeah. Uh, and I think that part of that is that everybody's going through it. Sure. Because it's like, it's it's like, oh, I'm not, this terrible thing didn't just happen to me, it happened to everybody. So, like, yep. if I can't be like, oh, poor me, because it's, oh, poor the entire Right, world. and then you're putting, <laughs> and then you're taking somebody who's feeling like you and dumping on them, which makes yeah. it feel like you're making their day worse. Yeah. And you kind of are. And that's right. the shitty part of all of this is like, is like if we have these conversations, yeah. they could get really dark. Yeah. And they can get really dark for people that you didn't intend to get dark with. Yeah. And then and then, yo, what's the point of me hanging out with you next time if shit's gonna get dark? Yeah. I mean, there are friendships in our life. I think we all have them that like tend to go there. Yeah. You know, I think Jax and I kind of have that relationship for a little while. Yeah. And we had to balance it by like having fun together so that if we did get dark, at least we had fun at that time. Yeah. So it wasn't like every time Jackson and I hung out, it we, was bo- just we both venting. dug into the deepest <laughs> yeah. shit. Because we know we love each other and we know we want to like hook each yeah. other up with advice and whatever. But like, yeah, it, you don't want to associate one of your best friends with that. Yeah, totally. Like every time I see them, I, I hate myself it's for a week. It's exhausting, you know? So, But I think that people aren't like, we have to give ourselves credit. Yeah. Um, this has been incredibly hard and... We still don't really understand what, like, the long-term effects of this are going to be on people. And it's also complicated because 
everyone's circumstances are so different. Yeah. You know, um, you could be, you could get it, not even notice it, be totally asymptomatic and give it to somebody right. who dies. Yeah. Or like you could be. There's nothing else in this somebody... world that you can accidentally just, I mean, there are, but like that, that thought of like me being a weapon walking around, yeah. like a, like a bomb that might go off. And that know? spectrum is so hard Screw to navigate. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is going to be what's going to, I, I anticipate that being a huge challenge for live music, uh, returning because I'm anticipating that what's going to happen is that there, there's, you could think about it like in two thresholds. One threshold is, safety yeah and cases case numbers like where we're at with like medical treatment icu yeah. capacity one threshold is safety the physical likeliness that like you're going to cause somebody else to get sick or, yeah or, or you're or going to get sick or whatever yeah, yeah yeah the other the other threshold is like comfortability and like trust kind of thing joy i mean all of that is tied together right this like, one is like your like willingness to put yourself out there all right, so quick quick case study yeah. in that regard because today what I spent my day doing was planning for a series of outdoor concerts, which is what everybody's yeah. trying to do right now for the summer. Yeah. They're not going to make any money in the end. The costs are just outrageous and like the bands still need to tour and get paid and so like the the already low margin concert industry is going to be just struggling to put on shows just to do something this yeah. summer, right? Um we're looking at this like grassy, it's like an amphitheater with like the hill from DTE or Pine Knob yeah. without the seats. Okay. And it just holds probably 2,000, 2,500 people at a normal time, yeah. right? Um, we're going to we're gonna try to sell 800 to 1,000 tickets on this site. Yeah. And we're having the internal struggle of like, do we have to paint pods and it quote unquote enforce pods or can we trust the public in, in june so three right. three months from now as like you know um things are obviously coming back around and reopening and there's there's more vaccine getting out into the world and all of these things are happening that feel semi-positive right yeah in three three four months can i trust just by messaging it strongly welcome to this show Normally there could fit 2,500 people here, but we've given you the space to take a thousand and put them in that same space. Will you please spread out and we don't have to like hold your hand and smack you on the hand if right. you step out of your little bubble? Yeah. Or do we have to like, is it inherent on us yeah. as a promoter to like paint the lines and make you sit within them? You right. know what I mean? And like, that's the thing of like, this is an industry that was, um, that was built on the freedom to gather, yeah. to move, to work out some of the things that are inappropriate um, inside the community. Yeah. You know, if somebody's dancing too close to me, you know, there's ways of all of the things yeah. that like social norms, right? Totally. You know, you can't just go in and start spitting on everyone. Right. It's just not acceptable. So like if we set forth that like the socially acceptable norm at this venue is to have a mask on when you're out moving around, if you sit in a spot on your blanket with your family and you want to have a drink and take your mask off or whatever, but like, can, or, or are we beholden to some other standard that needs to be more aggressive Yeah. because a, it might make somebody feel more comfortable and more willing to come. Yeah. 
B, um, there's obviously all kinds of um, disability and accessibility issues with a pandemic where, you know, um, disabled folks are being put in the back of the line for vaccines and they're mm-hmm. already immunocompromised and they can't go out to clubs in normal times without wearing some sort of mask or protection or whatever. Yeah. That now that... that it's amplified. Yeah, it's amplified and concerts are probably... If concerts are a year away from me, they're three three years away for those people. Yeah. Obviously, all of those things are normal things to like yeah. move through but now they're intensified in this this just weird way. Yeah. So I don't we don't have to answer the question. It's just as an artist yeah. you have to think about those things too. Like Totally. What do I want my fan base to feel about me and am I okay leaving some folks out because COVID has made it so that the filter that filters out people is a little tighter right now. Yeah. Because of yeah, and that, that is so that is such a complicated thing, you know. Um, it's another two hour podcast. Literally. <laughs> I think uh there's a lot of value in the signals that you sent when you are more intentional with yep. that kind of thing. And you know, making people feel safe. I think that that's what we're I think that's actually what we're gonna be battling in the next year is yeah. making people feel safe. We're it, sick of the conversation, but we have to have it over and over and over and over again. And we have to continue to have it in a very aggressive, intentional sort of way to yeah. make sure that we're not leaving anybody out, right? I think that safety is as we keep pushing closer and closer to getting it, every, it under control, we're gonna get safety down before people are comfortable enough to yeah. start participating. Well, and just the the abruptness of the closure, it's not going to be that abrupt on the other side. Right. You know what I mean? It's really easy to stop doing things. Yeah. It's hard to restart doing things. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about what your ethic is going to be going forward, but let's wrap this up by, um, before we get into our speed round, what does what's the next... 6 12 18 months kind of look like for you from an artist's perspective what yeah. what would the what would the audience uh see coming from you in in after the EP yeah so you're still riding that right now you didn't really get to play many shows on it obviously right. or any shows on it yeah so <laughs> which like, is crazy like yeah so i don't want to like tell you your album cycles over and yeah. it's time to move on but like what what are what are the next 6 12 pending covid things yeah. obviously uh, what's that look like for you right now? Uh, I want to start working with some bigger fish. Um, I want to start reaching out to people that are... I want to start collaborating with way bigger artists, people that I look up to, start getting on their radar. You know, consistent releases every... I would love to do six weeks, uh, probably closer to like a month and a half, like two months, you know? Yeah. Oh, you just put that project out with Jacob Sigmund. Yeah, and um, that was the first project. That was the first song that I ever released that I produced and mixed. Okay, so sick. that's something that I've been working on, and yeah. I want to. Uh, you know, I'm like addicted to autonomy, so sure. I yeah. <laughs> am mixing all my own music now. Um, and, and Jake is somebody who's so um, prodigious yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, somebody that's putting out a ton of music. It's great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so hooky and so infectious. So the the combo there just made sense. I have a lot of respect for him. And uh, he is one of the artists that I'm like, when you ask me that question about like artists that I'm really excited about right now. Sure. um, He's in the top five. He's up there. Yeah. uh, Yeah, yeah. As like, you know, when it comes to people that I know. I saw him only one time in with this project, and it was with uh, Matt from Citizen. And shortly, it was very much an emo night, like yeah. kind of vibe. And I think then, I was there too. Yeah, at, at L Club. Yep. And uh, it didn't quite 
stick, but it also worked sort of. Yeah. You know, you could you couldn't deny the the hooks. Yeah. And obviously that was one of those spaces where like it probably could have used a Brian Iglesias to get in the middle of the, you know, and get the yeah. shoulders moving and kind because of, everybody was like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. I'm s- sad and I like emo and whatever. Um, but yeah, dude, such a he's so he's a sweet phenomenal. Dude too. Yeah, sweet so dude. kind. Yeah. So talented. So so just qualitatively, um, more releases, more stuff. Is there anything quantitative, anything in the, coming down the pipe in the next couple months? Are, are we going to see a single or any time? Yeah. Anything soon? You don't have to drop, you know, the knowledge, if it, but just the, we should keep an eye on yeah. things for, for a single soon. I'm working on two singles right now okay. simultaneously that are going to be uh, dropped consecutively. I am trying to figure out what I want my next visual direction to be sure uh it's kind of like reverse engineering it where it's like if i can think of like the album cover then it's easy to think of all this what the single artworks look like okay versus like every time just trying to make something sweet i want it to be cohesive um so i'm trying to figure that out right now i've gotten really into like real things like organic textures with in art and so like i've been using a scanner a lot to like scan paper and then go and fuck it up in photoshop like okay i'm trying to break ground on like the intersection of like digital tools with uh tangible like yeah elements and that even applies to the way that i make music you know like i bought a synth because i was sick of using computers well, like pop, stuff and pop like, song pop song with beats that also has a guitar solo yeah i mean that that tells the story i like to mic good guitar amps and like get that cra- crazy sounds out of like a real amp there's nothing yeah. wrong with using a computer but like it just works better for me so i think i'm almost revisiting organic analog things in or elements within my art and trying to figure out new uh ways in like a digital context Okay, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, dude. It's it yeah, it's like a a textural feel within a digital world. Yeah. Something you can put your hands on, but you can't at the same right. time. Which comes with its own yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um I'm gonna launch into this uh this speed round and I want you to just take it take the question as it comes. Um, first thing that comes to mind, no right or wrong answers. Well, cool. there's some. Um yeah. <laughs> but mostly no right or wrong answers and uh if you want to dive deep on something and go into a little bit more of a story on something, feel free. But otherwise, just you know, it's like it's like the uh, short answer portion of the uh, tests here. Sweet. Uh, we'll start you off with the best album of all time. Uh, Abbey Road. Okay, that's you're not wrong. I mean, again, there's yeah. right, there's right, there are right or wrong answers, and um, that one's not not incorrect. So that's good. Uh, your favorite concert experience that you ever uh, experienced as a audience member? Um, probably seeing The Who live with my mom. Oh, sick! Yeah, and like I, like I, when? How old? I you? was probably like two thousand eight or something. Okay, so I was probably like twelve. Sick. Although well, honestly, the BB King one was pretty sweet. I've yeah. been to a lot of shows. Yeah, hell yeah! Uh, I didn't really start going to shows until I was eighteen. Um, yeah. I say the same things on this podcast every week, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I don't have that. Like I went and saw so and so when I was twelve with my dad. Yeah, you know? like we just didn't. My dad was a guitar player, and he put on his own shows in the living room. I guess. Yeah. Um, 
your favorite thing that you've ever created or been a part of creating? Probably Live Today, honestly, my most recent single. Yeah. Uh, this is the one with Jacob. This is the one with Jacob. Yeah. We made that one in my childhood home. And it is one of those songs that it kept taking on. It was like more applicable to my life when it dropped than like when we wrote it, which was crazy. Yeah. Uh, Cause usually you kind of, your ship has sailed and you moved on to something else. Yeah. And, but yeah. this one evolved and like just keeps, cause the, the song is like, it's like things will always change. Love don't always stay. An old man said, we all grow up, our youth will fade away, so feel the sun, share your love, and live today. And that is, that song it's is like essentially... It's COVID anthem, dude. It, that's pretty much what it's about, you <laughs> right? know? Yeah. And when it came out, I was, like, going through my own personal things and, like, having to, like, like, heartbreaks and stuff and having to, like, let go of certain things. And I'm like, I literally wrote this into a song, like four months ago and yeah. now I'm going through it in real time. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So as I'm ripping through this stuff, Tyler, I realize this is just a two plus hour podcast. It's just what it is now. And that's okay. <laughs> I'm just leaning into it. I'm having a great time. I don't want this to end. Dude. Yeah. Step aside, Joe Rogan. <laughs> there, <you go. laughs> there we go. Um, what's your current or most recent binge watch? I watched all of breaking bad in like three weeks and it totally destroyed my sleep schedule. Whoa. In uh, how many seasons is that? I think it's like, I don't know, actually. It might be like four or five, but okay. it's like 60 episodes. Okay. And you, you rip through that. Okay. That's pretty badass. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. Okay. I'm like a, I don't know. We shouldn't talk about my TV watching. I'm just, <laughs> if it's not like something corny like the avengers or star wars i generally if it goes any darker than that i'm like i don't feel yeah. good about it. i don't want to be like challenged by my tv yeah i just want to be like entertained turn off my brain yeah exactly yeah i feel you um the greatest i, I think i know the answer to this but the greatest musical performer that ever walked this earth uh, probably Freddie Mercury. Yeah. I knew that you knew the answer to that. Yeah, you, you answered that one earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, it makes sense. Uh, albums or singles? Singles now in 2021. Okay. Yeah. For your, for which side of you? The artist side of you or the listener side of you? Um, or both? I would say as an, as an artist, you're going to get more growth as if you put out singles, I think. If for your listening habits currently... Are you a playlister? Are you still listening to albums? Like, what do you like when you listen to music? What are you doing? I right now, I am the kind of person. I've gotten better about this recently, but I'm the kind of person that will like one album and just listen to it nonstop for like six months. Okay, and now I have like a few playlists. Like, I have like a classic rock playlist that I've just added every. It's called Classic Bangers yep. on Spotify. Yep, it's like every song that i think is sweet i also have another one that's just, and i just kind of like put those on you know yeah. so but i'm not super background music while you're working yeah, yeah. Um, i have those that get hours and hours i've got a they're just like vibes. new alt indie and i've got a you know 90s rock and a, you know yeah. yeah yeah i want to get better at listening to new, more new music consistently yeah. um i've been using like discover weekly more uh features like that but i don't really there's a guy out there that makes this thing called Mish Songs. It's all like uh, yeah, your, your friends. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you need, you know, if you need a little push in the in the more local direction. Yeah, that one's weird. You know, being a playlist uh, curator for that thing when 
not everything is like there yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like some stuff you want to support. And as somebody who's maybe hoping that somebody random is going to tune in, I don't want to tune anybody out by having something that maybe doesn't meet the quality standards yeah, totally. where you're at. So it's like this weird, you know, it's it's kind of the word local music summed up. Like some people yeah. are like local music and, you know, and it's like, no, there's so much good shit happening yeah, right now. Absolutely. But I also want to go get like the new track from this new kid who just is super supportive and awesome, you know, yeah. kind of, you know. We talk about Tyler Common. We talk about you, you know, like people who reached out very early on. Yeah. And, you know, like Zerapath was worthy of, of inclusion, but also maybe wouldn't like... Wasn't quite there yet. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then there's the other part of like the genre side of it too. Absolutely. You know? Like if you have hip hop and pop and indie and alternative on a list, it might flow together, but then you throw in like a blast beat metalcore song and you're yeah. like, this just, I logged off. This is know? not the same playlist. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. um, give me a controversial opinion that uh, you hold. I wish that people would try harder <laughs> to think outside the box and not just do the same thing as everyone else. Okay. Cause it's boring. Yeah. I think, I think derivative, derivativity i don't even know if that's being derivative is is a very easy thing to do right now like yeah. going back to that algorithm conversation yeah. right like you you are supposed to make dumb faces on tiktok or whatever yeah. and then hope you go viral and it's like what is it and it's like you don't have to like you can do things that are trendy but just don't alienate yourself to do those things yeah. you know i went it's, i went to a mall today yeah i haven't done that in a very long time um, I had a couple hours from where we were going, walking through that venue I was telling you about to come here. And I just couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't find anything on a Sunday that made sense to like do and just blow time. And yeah. it was a little too chilly to like just go for a walk outside. Mm -hmm. So I went and walked around the mall, just kind of as like a social experiment, but also I want to go to the Lego store, which is legit. So um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was that, it was like, Kids making TikTok faces into their phone. You yeah. Know? And I was just like, Ugh. and I know that I hated, like, I would hate myself as a teenager too. Yeah. Because I was a little asshole that did whatever was cool yeah. at that point. Uh, but yeah. And that's but, okay. I mean, yeah, it's fine. TikTok is like, I'm jumping onto it because it's a platform that has potential for growth and it's like, there's, it's real. But at the same time, for me, it's like just thinking outside the box with how you're creating things yeah. and like yeah one and of the it, most interesting uh tiktoks that i've been told about and again i didn't spend a lot of time about it but i listened to a whole panel on it and did check it out for a minute it's a guy who was born with a deformity that he does not have a, one of his hands yeah. basically it just ends at the wrist and it's the way that he goes through life and he shows it off on tiktok and it's really interesting i mean it just opens yeah. your mind up to just like what would i do if i didn't you know yeah and like it but it's so smartly put together mm -hmm. that it's just super entertaining and super interesting and it makes you think about you know your your life and and the things that you were blessed with and all these kind of things but it just yeah it was like that's what i would want to do yeah. on tiktok if i spent time on tiktok and you and you can do it's that it's so hard to find that though like it's so hard to create you have to put so much time in to create a feed that represents what you really want because what you think out, you want back to picking the things that you subscribe yeah. to yeah you know? and what you think yeah. you want or what i think i want again is like you know i'm big into legos lately i'm big into 
the Marvel stuff and all that. And it's mm-hmm. like when you get a feed of that all day long, it gets super derivative and boring. And right. it's just, you know, it's like I need something that's original yeah. in that space. If TikTok was to be interesting to me and Reddit is the same way, yeah. like you need to develop your following based on things. And it takes a little bit to get there. Yeah. It's just an energy that you have to be able to put in. Or that's where I'm at. Get, yeah. I'm literally like trying to get myself addicted to TikTok because I need to start using it more. <laughs> right. And it's like at that point, if you're forcing it, is it, is it, are, you know, are you, are you getting it, the spirit of it? Right. right. You know, totally. Uh, a guilty pleasure. Last, last one in the speed round. Probably eating food after 1 a.m. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not out much after 1 a.m. these days, but yeah, I, that's, I mean, a good part of my, uh, we, man, that my, is my, like, my gravity is, uh, yeah. Solely from like this bad habit I developed of like post midnight yeah. Taco Bell or whatever. I'm trying to uh, tame it, but it seems like I am hungriest at that time for some reason. Yeah. It's because <laughs> you're used to being hungry at that time. Yeah. I'm used to being thirstiest in the car. Oh, wow. That makes, uh, yeah. So I always stop and the, like my pop addiction is solely from driving. Wow. And now it's yeah. stuck. You know, there's other things, there's caffeine and all those things manifesting themselves but like all the driving i've done over the years it was like yeah i'd leave a show at midnight one o'clock in the morning i'd stop at a gas station and get you know a yeah. snack or and it was always a 20 ounce of pepsi or whatever and it right. was like you know i would keep myself awake with that caffeine but mm-hmm. then my body became dependent on it so i share that one with you my friend um, Brian Hugo Iglesias, where can we find out more about you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on any social platform at Brian H. Iglesias, Brian with a Y, yeah. B-R-Y-A-N-H-I-G-L-E-S-I-A-S. Like Julio Iglesias. Yep. Or on my website. Uh, and I'm on, all my music is on Apple Music, Spotify. Is that Brian Hugo Iglesias.com? Brian, uh, it's Brian Iglesias.com. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything else you want to share? What did we miss? You sent me a list. Oh, dude, what is, tell me about your Tinder ad. I don't even know what that means. Oh, I was in, I was recently in a Tinder commercial. Sick. Which was wild. My friend works for this ad agency that got hired by Tinder to make social content. And they reached out to me to see if I wanted to be in it. Uh, and essentially it's just like a commercial for Brian Hugo Iglesias. That's like, Brian likes to go on long walks on the beach and makes music and I don't know it was a crazy likes food uh, after 1am yeah yeah nice. I don't know if this fits into the rest of the conversation very well but <laughs> no it's cool <laughs> I um, appreciate you bringing it up though. what else what else I mean is there anything else that we missed I, I feel like we got pretty uh, I feel pretty good pretty about that yeah any other uh, shout outs or anybody uh, you want to thank or you know well Definitely thank you for having me. Um, you've always been so supportive. But that's not so what I was supportive. getting at. I mean, I th- you're welcome, but yeah. that's, not what, that's not what I was going No, at. I know, but like, <laughs> I mean that. And you really have always been such a supportive uh, person for so many people in the scene. And uh, in the same way that, you know, you commended me for my support, I think that it's so important. Um, yeah. and I appreciate I'll, that. Yeah, I mean that. And I also want to thank my parents straight up and also 
Are your mom and dad going to listen to all of this all the way to the end? I have no idea. But if they do, they uh, just got that shout out. So. Yeah, just let them yeah. know. Let them know, hey, at, at two, two hours, where are we at, Tyler? Like 2.15? Uh, I think we broke the record, dude. But uh, yeah, at the very wow. end of the podcast, mom, there's a mom and dad, there's a shout out coming your way. Yeah, cool. I wanted to thank my parents. I want to thank everyone at Assemble and also everyone that likes the art that I make because... It's so crazy when people start caring about what you do. Yeah. When, you know, after years of nobody caring. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, those play counts are smoking hot. There's yeah. probably the only quantitative way we can measure anything these days yeah. since there's no shows or whatever. Absolutely. But like, but like yeah, I, I, I pulled yours up the other day when I was kind of thinking about this and I was like, holy shit, people yeah. are listening to this stuff, dude. It's crazy. That's so rad. I've, Congratulations, like, man. That thank rules. you. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm sure it's not like, you know, the checks that are coming in aren't aren't blowing anybody any doors off. Yeah, but, um, super super impressive. And not that you know, not the play counts or anything like that are, are some sort of measure of like artistic valor. But I think it it says something in a time where there's really no other way for people to give back to an artist other than to like tune in. Yeah, we're not creating a lot of tangible records and vinyl and all that kind right. of stuff. We're not, you know, there's just the, it's it's like that's the way is yeah. to, to listen. And if people are listening, then it, it hopefully encourages you to keep making. Yeah. And it, it definitely does. And when I did the Spotify wrapped thing at the end of the year for my music, the metric that struck me the most was that I, I got like 250,000 streams on Spotify last year, which was way more than I thought I was going to get. Yeah. But the one that really blew me away was when I found out that there are 30 people on Spotify that listen to my music more than any other artists on Spotify. And wow. I'm like, what? There are 30 people out there that listen to me more than anybody? Anybody. And they I'm can like, choose anybody in the world pretty much And they picked point. me? That's so sick. I was like, what? That's, <laughs> yeah, I've never thought about that. Like, you know, Jason talks about that a little bit, how, yeah. you know, he's he's been identified by a few folks or as like their favorite band yeah you know and it's like how important that is to like your psyche and your ego to like in in the good ways totally. that you need that you know um that's super rad dude there's yeah. this uh one last thing i there's this slam poem that really stuck with me and it has to do with this and it's like it's called too close to the word and it's by this artist that I met in Washington, D.C. named Roscoe Burnham's. And in the poem, he talks about how it's a little bit of a religious metaphor, but it applies to a lot of other things. It's like Jesus' disciples did not know how great uh, Jesus were because to them, that was just their friend. Or like he also sure. talks about like Martin Luther King. Like yeah. people that grew up with Martin Luther King always saw him as like Martin, you know, that I grew up with. Like right. my boy. But – they didn't know that he was going to change the course of history. Yeah. And I think that a lot of artists, we struggle with the fact that we are too close to what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, we don't really know how we see everything. We see the bad days, we see the good days, and we don't really know how much this is really affecting other people and impacting them. And uh, so you got to give yourself some credit, you know? Yeah, dude. That sounds like the best way to wrap this up, man. That's a That's a good feeling to go into to the rest of 2021 with Brian. I really, really appreciate you coming on, dude. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, this podcast is neat in the way that it kind of expands my relationship with people and just like gets 
you know, I know a lot more now. Yeah. So then we hopefully we can apply that to some actual work together yeah. going forward. And, I'm in. And making things just that much more special. Um, next week, uh, talking about um, super talented musicians that I'm stoked about. Olivia Deer is going to join us. And uh, Olivia just put out a new single that is just so badass did you hear halfway yet yeah it's, it's so good oh god it's so i've been i've been um i mean she's been playing that live for a couple of years and i kind of know the backstory on that one but i can't wait like like i said i just can't wait to dig deep and like yeah. understand it more so that when we do get back to the like doing live again we can do it in a more uh intentional like we, we use the word intentional a lot on this podcast but just That's in good. an intentional way right yeah. like i want to i want to lift these songs up in the way that they're intended to be lifted up and, and uh so yeah i'm That's super really stoked. special yeah so yeah dude total uh this is my honor to have you on and i'm, I'm super stoked you could make it so thank you bud and uh yeah here for now i'll be back next week check us out online here for now podcast.com at here for now pod on socials here for now pod at gmail.com. If you want to shoot us an email and the best thing you can do is uh, encourage a friend. If you enjoyed this, encourage a friend to listen. Um, Cause that's how this thing grows and these stories get out and these artists that are so deserving, get more eyes on them. It's just by spreading the word. So Brian, appreciate your time. Love you, dude. Love you too, man. Thank Tyler, you. as always, thank you. I can't see you over there. I think you're still awake. This has been a, but these, oh, I saw a shadow oh, over there. Yep, I'm here. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.